Hello, my name is Gabriel James, uh, and with me right now is Scott Newmeyer. So, Scott, tell me, tell me what your stick stick is. Man, I don't know if I have a stick. <laughs> I'm a 49 year old white belt living in <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, living a good life, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, uh, man, how long have you been Jiu-Jitsu white belt? I mean. I mean, there's obviously more to you. I mean, that's why you're here right now. <laughs> but. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I've been doing jujitsu for about a year and a half, and I never ever thought that I would enjoy it as much as I did mm. when I first came to the gym. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna give it a couple weeks, just see how it goes, see if I get my kids interested, that kind of thing. And um, having recently retired from the military. And not really, I mean, I have lots of stuff to do, obviously, and hobbies and stuff, but not really having, like, something really to focus on. Mm. Jiu-Jitsu really filled, started filling that gap that was missing. It yeah. was, it was, um, it filled, like, this, this desire to, like, uh, work out yeah. and get fitter. It, it filled this desire to, like, learn new things. And, like, you know, once you stop learning, I feel like you kind of stagnate. And I didn't know anything. Like I've never, I've done some army combatives in the military, but it was like two weeks. Right. <clears throat> so when I got into a gym in that formal setting and like started learning, really didn't really start learning for a couple of weeks, just started getting crushed and knowing certain positions I really didn't like being in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, um, and then I just, and I was sore and I was beat up and I was like, man, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Like, I did not consider how hard it was. And I started doing it. And um, so it's been a year and a half since I started. And mm. as the first six months kind of ticked by, um, certainly improved and made improvements, but then really started understanding certain positions and understanding what the coaches were saying and started linking stuff together and really enjoyed the mental and physical aspect of it. Mm. So that's just, it's been a great, absolutely great journey. And I know a lot of people have a similar kind of feeling about jujitsu. Yeah. Um, Definitely a late onset, you know, onset jujitsu pr practitioner, but it's been mm. awesome. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, learning, learning, I know for me is like a, it has to be a constant thing. You know what I mean? Learning is like, I feel like that's what life is, you know, just learn just constantly. Yeah. I feel like when you, when you don't learn and you don't spend time like trying to master something, it's mm. real easy to kind of slide into bad habits and just right. kind of like, Hey, I'm going to flip on Netflix instead yeah. of going to jujitsu today. Yeah. Or... I'm going to just, you know, just chill and like hang out with some friends or go have a beer and eat lunch. Whereas mm -hmm. now I'm like, I don't want to drink a beer and eat lunch because I got jujitsu at 1130 mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to eat something healthy afterwards. And yeah, yeah. It like starts off your day good. It starts off and, it, and I find that when I do jujitsu, I'm like a better person. Mm -hmm. I'm better. I'm a better dad to my parents mm -hmm. or to my uh, kids. I'm a better, I'm a <laughs> yeah. better um, husband to mm -hmm. my wife just because like whatever that hour hour and a half you experience you you're going as hard as you can mm -hmm. you're coming close to dying yeah it it just makes you a better person it makes you right. feel better the rest yeah. of the day so it's like a i don't know because yeah you have that uh it's an exercise camaraderie because it's not like you have like you're lifting by yourself in the gym or you got one training partner you're like having a not necessarily near death, but pretty near death experience <laughs> with multiple people, you know, over that hour, hour and a half. Of yeah. Training. The other thing too is the camaraderie. I didn't, 
wasn't expecting that piece of it because mm-hmm. where I came from in the military, like we were a tight group, mm-hmm. like friends, still friends with them today, still talk to them today, still yeah. text with them, you know, mm-hmm. every week. If I don't check in with them for a month, I'll check in with them. And it's like no time has passed whatsoever, you know? Yeah. Um, when we moved from Tennessee to Omaha, kind of lost some of that camaraderie, that daily camaraderie. And then, you know, jujitsu is, you start gaining that when you're in the gym and start training with people, you start getting to know people mm-hmm. and it's, it's a ton of fun. It really is, yeah. And I've met some great people and it's been awesome. So Yeah. A lot of people like jujitsu because... Yeah, camaraderie, like military, you had a camaraderie, and then you got out and you, you know, you found it again, I guess. And then uh, a lot of people also in high school sports, like people are like, you never, yeah, you have your team, you're never really going to get that again. And jujitsu is one of those things that you really get. Yeah. So then I saw that you uh, retired in 2019. So then how I get, and then you, year and a half ago, so that was about 2021, late 2020, right? Mm-hmm. So then how, I guess, how did you get into jujitsu from there? You know what I mean? Like, so I think jujitsu is something that was, so when I was in flight school, this is going way back, they were having UFC events in Dothan, Alabama. Yeah. Which is like right next to Fort Rucker in Alabama. And I remember mm-hmm. like watching like Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock and going, dude, this is the heat. Because it was like yeah. past Mike Tyson time because yeah. Mike Tyson was the heat for a while. Yeah. And then you're watching this like combat sports and you're like, dude, this is like crazy. So in flight school, we get together and we watch UFCs and um, yeah. it was super cool. And a couple of my friends who were in flight school with me came from a Ranger Battalion and they, in Ranger Battalion, they mm-hmm. were doing jujitsu already. Okay. They were doing some Gracie jujitsu. They yeah. were kind of the ones that were kind of like cutting edge on like combatives. Yeah. So they would, we would do PT and they would do like a combatives PT where we would like do like basic jujitsu. I mean, it was like in the grass and like our PTs and they would yeah. just teach us like basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Super cool. But then once you, once you start your journey in the military, unless you're like in a certain MOS or a job in the military, there's not a lot of time for combatives, especially when you're right. a pilot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the last thing that my bosses wanted me to do was get hurt. Right. They're like, I need you flying. I need you sitting in that seat flying. I don't need you with a, you know, yeah, bum arm or a bum leg or you can't walk or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So the priority for, you know, the emphasis for like that kind of thing was like mm-hmm. down. Okay. So when I retired, mm-hmm. Along with a lot of other things that came, comes with like being out of the military after being in it for twenty one years, mm-hmm. was like okay, I can do what I want now. Yeah. So here's a chance to do jujitsu, and COVID had just kicked off, I think. Yeah, 2019. Yeah. And like yeah. I was like, gyms were closed. I was like, this is so yeah. infuriating, man. Like, here we are. Like, it's known to be that if you're healthy, you're mm-hmm. have a lot better chance like having COVID have a minimal effect on you and right. all the gyms were closed. Yeah. So I was like doing garage stuff and I was like, you know, I just, I'm going to see if there's a jujitsu place open. Yeah. Lo and behold, I found yeah. it. I was right down the street and I had, I did the gym that I came to was the only gym I tried, mm-hmm. which I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know what to look for in a gym. Right. How lucky am I? Yeah. It's like yeah. phenomenal. Hey, lucky us, man. <laughs> <laughs> lucky us. <laughs> <laughs> So garage stuff, like what, 
Were you, like, is, is that, was that jujitsu? Like, no. So like, um, a lot of the, the workout stuff that I was doing, I still do it is, um, like kettlebell swings and like, okay, you. you know, Turkish get-ups. And then, um, we bought a, my wife and I, we bought one of those, um, air bikes, mm-hmm. which are just absolutely soul crushing cardio <laughs> workouts, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we were doing like a lot of that stuff and like, yeah. um, some running and a lot of biking mm-hmm. cause I can take my kids biking and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, um. That was kind of like the garage workout stuff. That we were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then, <clears throat> what? Uh, what? What did? What did you do once you get out? Got out? Like, like what? Yeah. So what we did? So what we did when we got out? When I got out of the military as a family, we had planned back in 2016. Mm-hmm. My wife and I sat down at a table, and I remember. We got a piece of paper and we're like, okay, this is my next promotion. Mm. If I don't get it, this is when I'm eligible to retire. Mm. This is when like my commitment that I owed the army kind of runs out from like bonuses and all that stuff. And we, we put this timeline out in a piece of paper and it was like, okay, Janice, you, what do you want to do when I get out? Because there's plenty of job opportunities continuing flying as a civilian in Tennessee that I could still do. Or do we want to do something different? Mm. And we talked about, we've always talked about like moving somewhere where like Montana or Wyoming, where there's like, like more, less people and more open spaces and public land that we could get the kids out on and fish and hunt and all that stuff. So, but Tennessee was, we like Tennessee a lot. We like living there. Um, My friends were all there. Good paying jobs were there. So Mm. we were kind of like, um, you know, decision time because My wife, she um, she had been a stay-at-home mom for a while, um, and she's kind of like, I want to go back to school. I have a Montgomery GI Bill that is going to run mm-hmm. out if yeah. I don't use it. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Because I'm cool with that for yeah. sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. not having to maybe go back to work right away. And she's like, I want to be a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm like, okay, what is what does that entail? Is your college classes still good? So she kind of went walked a dog on that and said, okay. I have to take some classes because my biology class is like over 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I got to take statistics class. I got to take this. So she got them all lined up, found mm-hmm. an online program. And we kind of just paced it out and said, okay, you're going to apply for your doctorate in physical therapy on this date. And we'll know by this date. And then we'll have a kind of a pathway forward. And to her credit, she t- took all her classes, mm-hmm. took the GREs. Got into got pretty good scores. Applied a couple different programs: Maine, Arkansas, and Omaha, Creighton. Mm. Which we have family in Creighton. My brother's a firefighter here. Okay. And um, my mom and dad were living here too. Mm. Um, so it was like that would be our number one goal. But I mean, Creighton's not the easiest school for physical therapy to get into. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So we were kind of like hedging our bets and like, well, you know, no matter where we go, we'll be fine. Mm. Well, she went out for an interview and she got accepted to Creighton, which mm. is amazing. Mm. So kind of from there, um, our pathway was set. So when we got out, it was kind of like we had set the motion. We set everything in motion in 2016 when we sat down and we just kind of checked in with each other and made sure we were on track. And you know, she needed time to study and she needed time to do this. I would just mm. try to give it to her, you know? Yeah. 
she got into Creighton and we moved here. Yeah. We'd sold our house. It was like, mm. you know, it's a little bit, we lived in that house for a, for a while and it was mm. the only place my boys knew and it was like kind of crazy to like yeah. sell this house in Tennessee and then move into an apartment in Omaha. Yeah. People are like, what are you? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know you could you could stay here. We're like, I know, I know, but good, but yeah. But, yeah but, I mean, we had this kind of vision of where we wanted to end up, and mm. um, the other part of continuing to fly for um, the military in a civilian capacity mm-hmm. is you're always getting a flight physical every year, mm-hmm. and you don't know. Like once you get old enough, it's like there could be something that eyesight or blood pressure or whatever yeah could disqualify you and mm-hmm. then you're done right you're not flying anymore and then you got to do something teach or instruct or do some sort of ground school kind of thing which would be cool but it wasn't something i was like super interested in yeah yeah, yeah. okay so you just, okay yeah so we kind of just picked up we pulled up stakes and we just like yeah. moved here yeah and it's been actually really good. I mean, Omaha's been awesome to us. Omaha's a great place to, like, you know, have a family, raise kids, start a business, like anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, wife's smart. Doc, like, in the doctorate. She just graduated, like, two weeks ago. Oh, really? With her doctorate of physical therapy. There you go. Yeah. And um, she passed her boards, and, mm. I mean, super proud of her. She yeah. worked her tail off. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and then she'd go work. 10 hours, yeah. come home, be a mom, go Jeez. to bed, and then do it again. And she do that seven days a week for three years. <laughs> what a what a what she's, an awesome lady, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, total respect for her, man. I yeah. mean, she did great. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, I had a friend in college. He wanted to be a uh, physical therapist. It was like my freshman year, and he told me all about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. Like that is some crazy stuff you got to go through. I am, you know, when she was like talking about physical therapy. I was like, man, you know, that sounds cool. I have a Montgomery GI Bill. Mm. I was like kind of talking some shit like, hey, maybe I'll be a physical. Maybe you get done with school, then I'll go to school. Yeah. And we could both be physical therapists. It'd be kind of after the first two weeks of the semester. I'm like, I'm out (laughs) saving my, (laughs) saving that GI Bill for my kids, man. I'm not using that. I'm not going to waste it on me. I want no part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Yeah. School school stuff now. But um yeah. Uh so I'm curious to see where did you live in Tennessee? So we lived in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is okay. about forty minutes from Nashville. Mm. Down I twenty four. So kind of I guess they call it um middle Tennessee. Um I think it's the second or third third largest city in Tennessee. It's fairly big, but it's not it's not really a high-rise city. It's more of a spread out. Yeah. Um, a lot of the military people live there and stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we loved it in Tennessee. We thought it was great. Mm. And we loved, um, I loved having land between the lakes, which is um, yeah. a big old public land area nearby. And we go turkey hunting and deer hunting there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Land between the lakes. I. Recently, I've I was like looking at what is land between the lakes. It's like where the the river comes and it's like dammed it up or whatever. And it mm. I'd have to like go back and look exactly like how it got formed. I know there was okay. a it was a uh, at one point there was a big flood there. Yeah, and I think that the land between the lakes is a result of that flood. 
okay. of trying to control some of that water. Okay. But I mean, it's a great public land area. It's like, you know, thousands and thousands of acres where you mm. can just hunt and fish and yeah. do whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know when I was, but it was this past like two weeks. I was, there's some amount of land between the lakes. I, I wish I could remember right now, but that's awesome. Because I, I asked uh, Y Tennessee because I used to live in Memphis and then, I don't know, maybe. maybe you know, yeah, Memphis is down a little farther south. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, so then. But. Uh, <laughs> so before before what what were you doing in Tennessee I guess so in 2016 planning what was so, where were you in your so my job that, so getting to Tennessee's once again I gotta go back because rewind yeah. to um, my wife and I are both in the military yeah and she was we got out of flight school hmm she was in Germany, in Illishan, Germany, stationed in 2-6 Cav there, flying Apaches. Okay. I was stationed at Fort Drum, New York. Mm. And um, <clears throat> we've been dating since flight school, mm. doing the long distance thing. Back then, I could fly to Frankfurt, Germany from Fort Drum, New York, or Syracuse, where I'd fly out of. I could fly to Germany for like $430 round trip. How? What? How? <laughs> that's, how much, that's how much the plane tickets were. Hey, so okay. I would get like yeah. 10 days of leave and I would just like fly to Germany to stay at Janice's house or yeah. her apartment. She had a car there and we just like travel all over Germany, Czech Republic, uh, Austria. Super cool. That's crazy. To be there. Yeah. Then 9-11 happened. Okay. okay. And she got deployed first. So she went over to Iraq or Kuwait first and then into Iraq. Mm. I was at Fort Drum. I got sent to instructor pilot school shortly after she's getting back. I'm getting ready to go again. And we kind of realized that in order to to live to, to like continue with our relationship, we'd have to get married. Right. Because the army doesn't recognize like, hey, mm. we've been dating for three years. Yeah. We're gonna get married eventually. Mm. They don't care. They want to see like a marriage certificate. Mm send it in and apply like, Hey, I want to be stationed with my wife. Okay. And then they try to do it. Yeah. Tr try. Yeah. Depending on like if everything works out. So, um, she got back and, um, I proposed to her and I tried to propose to her in Venice, Italy. Yeah. But she was, I ended up doing the day before in Austria because she was sweating me. She was uh -huh. asking me some questions. Like, <laughs> I wasn't prepared to answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had this ring for like yeah. three months and I yeah. was going to propose. And I had this like idea of Venice and in a gondola. Yeah. And uh, on the way down to Venice, mm. she's like, hey, what's our future look like? Mm. And I was not very eloquent in my response. It was when I'm ready for to talk about our future, I'll let you know. Mm. And then from then on, I got the silent treatment. Like when I went to the bathroom, I took my passport and my wallet with me because I wasn't sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure she was gonna be there when I got back. She was she was furious at me. And I'm thinking, I got this ring in my backpack. I'm like, just can you just wait one more day? Yeah, we're gonna be in Venice tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, 
what do you want to go to eat? She's like, I don't care. Yeah. What do you want to do something? What, do you want to go get some like a drink or something? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. So I'm like, dig the ring out. We're in uh, Innsbruck, Austria. Mm -hmm. I don't have any plan whatsoever. Yeah. I'm like, let's go for a walk. I'm just walking, looking for like somewhere I can like, propose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and then after, you know, propose to her. It's a great story now. Yeah. I'm like, glad it happened that way. Yeah. But uh, I'm like, you could have waited one more day. It yeah. would have been in Venice. It would have been on a gondola. It would have been like, oh, awesome, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's a park in Innsbruck, Austria. <laughs> <laughs> you want passport plus your chest. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't leave my passport because she might disappear with it. I'll be stuck in Europe. Um, so um, we got, I proposed to her. We ended up getting married just to the peace in Watertown, New York. Okay. And we put our paperwork in. And then I left for Iraq for 13 months. So when I got back, um, I applied to the 160th. Special Operations mm -hmm. Regiment to assess. And I knew that they were at Fort Campbell and she kind of, one of her choices was Fort Campbell. So we both kind of put that on our list of where we wanted to end up. Mm -hmm. And I got back, I assessed and I got picked up and she was already there. Um, yeah. Had already left Germany and moved there. So it worked out perfect as okay. far as that goes. So once again, that was a little, a little bit of planning, a little bit of risk taking there too, but. That was our plan. Is Fort Campbell in Georgia? Fort Campbell's on the border of Tennessee and Kentucky. Okay. It's actually Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah. But it's like three miles from the Tennessee okay. state okay, line, okay. or maybe a mile. Yeah. So why there? Like, why there? Yeah. Because that's the only place that. Um, well, that's the headquarters for the one sixtieth Special Operations oh, okay. Division. So yeah. that's where you go assess, and then if you, hopefully you get stationed there. Mm -hmm. That was kind of our plan was right. to try to stay there as long as we could together. Yeah. And do that. Okay, I see. Y'all, so that was y'all met in flight school, so y'all both. So we met. Yeah, she we, was Apache, you were. We, uh, we met in instruments. So before we yeah. even had aircraft, we okay. were, so you, in, in flight school, you go through like, first you like, learn how to like hover, mm. which you're like, I may never, I may be driving a truck after this experience because <laughs> it's, you know, 10 hours of failing before you yeah. actually can control the helicopter. Wait, so not, let's hover. Just, just hovering in one spot. Okay. So you just, you. it's so hilarious because you just, you have all these old, they're not even military. They're all retired military civilian dudes. Mm. They're like, you know, some of them are not in the best of shape, but they've yeah. all had like Vietnam experience and like right. super like they have thousands of hours in a helicopter mm -hmm. and, and basically when you're when you can't even hover yeah can't even start the helicopter they're gods you know they're like i wish because they're like just make it look so easy and then they're like okay you have the controls and you're you're like moving the controls 10 times what they didn't even move and you're pumping up and down on the mm -hmm. collective and you're stomping on the pedals and the helicopter's oh, yeah. Doing the bucking bronco, yeah, and you're trying to focus on where should I look. It's awful. Okay, so the bucking bronco, <laughs> I'm guessing, just your final you, place. You, you can't control your altitude. You can't control your the attitude of the helicopter, and you're just moving around. So there's this big open yeah. tarmac areas where they just you're all lined up and you're all watching everybody. Yeah, and they land and they're like, 
your stick buddy comes out, taps you on the shoulder. Yeah. You put on your vest, you mm-hmm. walk out, strap in, he picks up, takes you to a safe where there's nobody around. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. Picks up to a hover. He's like, okay, you have the controls. And he's like right there to yeah. stop you from killing yourself. Okay. Yeah. And you're like, and it's like, it's like the first day, it's like less than a half a second. Yeah. And by the third day, it's like you hang in there for like five seconds of oscillations and then it's out of control. Oh, so there's a very big learning curve there. Huge. Because it's nothing, I mean, hovering a helicopter is completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Foreign experience, unless I mean, it's not even like a video game. It's just yeah. it's, it's it's so hard to replicate. Or, right, man. I was gonna ask. I was like, because I because I was imagining like like you said, standing in line, and you're seeing these people do this, and like from my imagination, I was like, so what happens if the helicopter just goes this way and crashes into like the side of a building? And like, well, yeah. They but don't, then I was like, oh, there's probably a copilot. Yeah, there's or, a there's a yeah. so you have an IP mm-hmm. and you have a uh, student. Mm. So the IP is making sure that you're not break because you can easily break the helicopter by over torquing it or dipping mm. the tail stinger down yeah. and hitting. There's a bunch of things you can do, hitting the skid and tipping over. Mm. Um, so he's keeping you safe. Okay. But it just all it takes is just time trying it. And at the end of ten hours, like you can hover ish. Yeah. And you're flying a little bit. Flying is easier. Mm. Not as hard. Hovering is the hard part. So. Mm. Taking off and then landing because you're going from forward flight to stopping. Yeah. The way the controls behave and respond are all different. So doing a lot of traffic patterns, hovering, taking off, making all your radio calls, coming into approach, mm. just coming to a hover and stopping, mm. taking off again. You just do that over and over and over and over again, trying to get your muscle memory and proficiency down. Yeah. They, I, IP is uh, instructional pilot. Instructional pilot. Yeah. Okay, I got you. At the end of all this stuff, they let you have a solo day mm-hmm. where they're like, "All right, don't screw this up." And you and your stick buddy mm-hmm. go out to a helicopter. The IP gets out. You climb in, and you and your stick buddy are like, make the radio call, hover out, take off, traffic pattern, land, and you. Do five approaches. Okay. Each do like one or two or whatever. Yeah. And so, that's like a big deal. It's like, oh my God. We, saw, we have a ceremony, you get a hat and all this stuff, you know. Oh, that's legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like at that, at that time, it was like a big deal in, you know, in mm. your training. It was, okay. You solo. It's like they, they trust you enough not to crash in the daytime doing traffic patterns. Okay. Well, at least you have that. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, you're like, I don't know, five million in debt or something. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Who's the uh, stick pilot? Is that just the guy who's so, like yeah, you're yeah, in charge of? No, it's like your student, a fellow student. Oh, okay. Who they pair you up with. Yeah. So it's one IP per two students. Mm-hmm. And so you're always kind of like studying together and you're always like answering questions together. There was always mm-hmm. like they're always doing like oral evaluations and yeah. written evaluations and stuff. So they pair you up with somebody, and okay. that's your stick buddy. Yeah. Okay. So then, why why if hovering is the hardest part, why do you start with hovering? Because I know you're in uh, you're also an instructional pilot yourself, I, yeah, right? Yeah, was. Yeah. So then, instructor pilot, right? Yep. Okay. So then you're also so why start with hovering? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where it all starts. In order to take off. Yeah. 
you have to hover. In order yeah. to land, you have to be able to hover. Okay. And if something, you know, if you miscalculate your landing, you got to be able to stop it mm. and, and touch down safely. So if you need a backup or you need a turn or whatever, you got to be able to hover. Okay. That's like the default. You have to be able to do that. It's kind of like, yeah. um, I mean, it's kind of like pulling on the driveway. You got to mm. be able to do that before you can go on the, yeah. the road, you know. So I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then what what's the collective? So, okay, there, there's three primary controls in a helicopter. There's the pedals, mm. which change the pitch of the tail rotor. Yeah. And that twists the helicopter left and right. Yeah. The collective is a stick on the side here. Mm. And it collectively adds pitch to the main rotor blade so that it goes up and down. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. The cyclic, which is between your legs and it's kind of like the, what I think most people would consider like a controls for a video game or whatever is it cyclically puts pitch in the blade so tilts the rotor forward backwards turns the helicopter like this okay. so in order to fly a helicopter you have to kind of manage all three controls at the same time because imagine a helicopter on the ground at 100 percent ready to pick mm -hmm. up you pull the collective Collectively, it puts pitch in all the blades, and it twists the mast that's connected to the helicopter harder. Mm. So that wants to twist the body of the helicopter the opposite direction. Mm. To counteract that, you need to put in left pedal. Okay, so yeah. as you pick up, you got to put in left pedal to balance mm. it. When you pick in left pedal, the helicopter's getting blown in a certain direction because mm. now you've added a vector of force in one direction. So you got to add a little cyclic in that so it's always uh, a balancing yeah. act when you're hovering. Yeah. And that's why it's the hardest thing to do is because it's the most unstable part of flight. That sounds like a, for a helicopter. doozy. <laughs> and, it, you know, they teach you all the academics before you get in there, but then do it and you're like, right. this makes no sense to yeah. me. What the hell is happening? Yeah. Why can't I? And the instructors always were famous. You'd be like wrestling and you'd be mm. doing the bucking bronco ride and moving yeah. Everything way too much, and they would come and put their finger on top of the cyclic, <laughs> and everything. The helicopter would be like this, and you go, "Like you're moving the controls too much." Freaking pro, yeah. And he's like, "Just move it. It's like the inside of a donut is the amount you need to move." Uh, and I'm moving it like um, strong <laughs> army. <laughs> so no wonder. <laughs> it's like watching uh instructional jujitsu video right there. <laughs> yes. You like watching like white belt blog roll. That's yeah. just, there's technique to there. That's cool. So then the Vietnam guys, were, uh, were they still in the military? Did they come back? Had they retired? They had retired and they got a, like a contracting job okay. with the army because the army, they need army pilots to fly army missions and to be training army personnel. The whole flight school, that can be farmed out. It's cheaper to just have contractors do it. So they have a fleet of helicopters that are cheap, cheap to fly down at Fort Rucker, and they yeah. cycle students through there, and the instructors have different phases of it. So you have, uh, you know, primary they call it. It's like your first like learning to hover and fly, mm. and then you have like nights. Yeah. Then you do NVGs. What are NVGs? Night vision goggles. Okay. Basic skills where you're learning tactics. Fighting an LZ and how to land into the wind and how to do all like 
different What's stuff. What's an LZ? Landing zone. Sorry. Landing zone. Keep it straight. Because <laughs> I, got, I got all the yeah. acronyms. So yeah, yeah. a landing zone, how to find a landing zone, how to land into the wind. Um, just how to like take a uh, map and put time distance heading on it mm. so that you can fly with a compass and a clock mm-hmm. without having that navigation GPS. So yeah. two, three, seven degrees for four minutes at 80 knots. Mm-hmm. I should be here. Okay. Do your landing, find it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so weren't the, uh, the, uh, because you were a night stalker, right? So that y'all were the first ones ever to, from my understanding, to use the night vision goggles and uh, was it forward flare, forward looking infrared, forward look, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's those are like the plank holders, the people who first were night stalkers. They were really, I mean, what what it came down to is Desert One happened where we were gonna rescue. Remember when the Iranians took over the embassy in like 70, forget what, when it was. I think it was Jimmy it, Carter was president. The Iranians yeah. took over the U.S. embassy mm-hmm. and the military was going to go in and rescue them. It was mm-hmm. a very audacious plan. And um, we ended up not succeeding because one of the helicopters, I believe, drifted into a refueling aircraft and the whole uh FARP, which is where they fuel up helicopters, basically caught fire and there was disabled aircraft on the ground and people, oh, wow. some, some people died in it and stuff mm-hmm. and they ended up canceling the mission. Um, from there, they were like, hey, we need, the, the government's like, we need to have a group of people who are focused and dedicated on doing this because there was Air Force and Marines and Army and they were all involved they had different radios. They had different procedures for refueling helicopters. They had different, you know, hand signals, and nothing was standardized. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the night soccer's came about. Is it's like we need a special unit for these type of missions that are trained, and they have a standard operating procedure across everything, and they train and they they work on these specific skill sets. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the night stalkers evolved, and I was very lucky because. When I was there, there were some guys who were plank holders, who were the original guys who were testing out NVGs. That's awesome. That's, that and, must um, have been. and it's really just cool talking to them because, I mean, the NVGs now are so advanced. They're mm-hmm. amazing how good you can see. They're still hard to do stuff in them, but they're way better than what they were. They used to be, you know, current NVGs, they are held on your helmet and they're kind of far away from your face. So you mm-hmm. can see all the gauges. And you can see periphery around you and you can like write on a clipboard and you can, but then you look ahead and everything's, you can see at nighttime. When they first designed NVGs, they were full face and you could not see the gauges. You could only see out. So they would do crazy stuff like adjust one tube to be focused so they could see gauges and one tube focused outside. (laughs) Or, you know, they have all these, I think they tried different strategies. Mm-hmm. And if you had to write something down, you had to like flip your goggles up or once somebody in the cockpit had to write it down. Yeah. Um, night vision goggles are very sensitive to like white light. Mm-hmm. So we, they had to come up with ways of like lighting the cockpit right. with other than white light so they could see and read a map and read a checklist or write down stuff. So okay. they had to innovate all that stuff, which is super cool. That is some... 
crazy multitasking. <laughs> well, I mean, and they're doing it. They're doing it for the very first time, and they're uh-huh. doing it, you know, in a helicopter that's not very advanced. It doesn't have GPS and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah, they're getting after it. So it's just pretty cool to meet those guys. Oh yeah, the OGs. The OGs. The OGs uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty. Uh, and then was it Fort Campbell that they? Or where you were stationed that the nice soccer's also started? So, yeah, there's they're stationed a couple places around the U.S., but but the um, I ended up assessing and flying Little Birds, mm-hmm. MH6s, mm-hmm. which is the, there's two variants, the AH-6 and the MH-6. The AH-6 has guns on it, mm-hmm. and the MH-6 is, is like multi-purpose helicopter. Yeah. Basically carry people on it. Okay. That's yeah. our primary job. Mm-hmm. Um Totally different mission sets, totally different skill sets. Yeah, I mean, an AH guy can fly a helicopter with the best of them, mm-hmm. but he's not as comfortable getting down into an alleyway and picking up or going to a you know some kind of obscure place to land. Mm-hmm. They're much more comfortable in a forty-five degree dive, putting yeah. putting rounds on target. So it's a totally different um, skill set what they practice, mm-hmm. and they practice all the time doing that, and we practice. Yeah, we're like see them on see them when we take off, and we don't see them the rest of the night. <laughs> they just do their thing, and we do our thing, yeah. and then we so, have exercises together where they we do it together. But I mean, yeah. I, I have gone out and shot an AH six before. Mm-hmm. How was, was that? It was super fun. Yeah. It was cool, but it was um, it's a very uh, I would say a visceral experience. Like it's very that gun is right out your door, mm-hmm. very loud. Your smoke's coming in, the windscreen, you know, and it's you're focused on trying to get rounds on target, but you also have to pull out in time. Mm-hmm. The aircraft is very heavy because they put tons of ammo on it. Right. So the helicopter flies kind of mushy in those kind of extreme, mm-hmm. the way they maneuver and stuff. Yeah. To them, it doesn't feel crazy at all to them because they do it all the time. But for somebody who doesn't do it, it's like, oh, this is strange. Yeah. And then at nighttime, it just complicates everything. Yeah, so, so, I, I, I don't know, uh, so they can't parallel park, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, they can't get into the alley, okay, so then, that was weird, <laughs> that was a weird, <laughs> but, uh, so I was watching the, this video that you sent me, and then the, y'all would come down on top of a roof. And then there would be like guys around the building. You drop somebody on top of the building. So what was kind of like the relationship between like you coming in, coming out? What was like the communications? And like what was like what was your job going in? And then what was the guys on the roof's job in relative to the people around it? So I, I think the for as a night stalker, the one thing that makes night stalkers very very unique yeah. is we are one thousand percent dedicated to the customer. That's the special operations forces, either whether it's Navy or Army or Air Force, whatever. Mm-hmm. When we get tasked to we get tasked to deliver them on target, first of all, it's plus or minus 30 seconds. Like it's we are gonna get you to the target plus or minus 30 seconds, and we are gonna put you exactly where you wanna go. Like very precise. Yeah. So a lot of those videos that you saw, they're old Iraq videos that are just on floating around YouTube or whatever. Um, you're not seeing the whole picture because a lot of times there's helicopters landing in a field. So the guys you saw at the bottom of the building came from Blackhawks and they're setting up around the 
the okay. building. And then we're putting guys on top of the building because the ground force commander, when they go into a building, they want people on top in sniper positions and overwatch, making sure that the guys on the ground are safe. Yeah. And if they can't get on the base ground floor or they run into a problem, heavy resistance, they want guys to be able to come down from the roof mm. into the building. So, you know, you imagine you're defending a building, um, you know, having to defend it, the front door, the windows, and then also the stairs that come from your roof, it's impossible, right? They're going to all come at the same time. So they're, mm. they're coordinating that piece of it. Okay. So all angles at all times. All angles and they train that all the time. And that's kind of, I mean, that's the way they stay safe. Right. Being unpredictable and kind of going the path of least resistance, getting in that side of that building, to get right. whoever they're after. Yeah. So as the Night Stalkers, whether, no matter what platform you fly or whatever, we're always like, we're always trying to give the customer the exactly what he wants. Mm. The ground force commander, the team leader who's flying on your helicopter, he'll come up to you and, We'll have pictures of a building that we're going to assault. And he's like, I want to go there. Mm -hmm. And I want Chalk 2 to go here. Because I need my guys in, you know, in an L formation. And I want them here. Or I want both helicopters on the roof. Yeah. And we'll talk about. And then as aviators, as experts in our field, we'll be like, okay, you want both helicopters or everybody on top of that roof. Here's the fastest way we think we can get in there. Mm -hmm. Is that good with you? Or... Maybe you want to do it simultaneous, a little bit slower, or maybe you want a fast rope so you have some ropes on the whatever. Yeah. We'll talk to them about that, and then we'll we'll come up with a plan as aviators and say, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. this is exactly what we're doing. So then, is that because you had to deal with all branches of the military, right? So then, is that like carrying towards the customer? Is that how y'all? Because I'm, because I'm sure it was hard to. Well, I, I have no idea really, but was it hard to go? Is that how y'all kind of like? Uh, did that make it easier to switch from branch to branch almost? Like, I don't know if they had different lingo or like, well, you know. Well, the, the cool thing about the customer that we get to work with is they're mm -hmm. like the, the, the tier one, the best of the best guys. Right. So as they come up, as their guys come up through their assessment program, they're getting exposure to our helicopters. We're mm -hmm. always, they're training on us from day one. Okay. And they're learning like the SOP and the TTPs that we develop. We're developing, develop, developing them together. Mm -hmm. So they're like, hey, this works for us, but this doesn't work for us. And we're like, okay, you know, we need to do it this way because of this. And they're like, okay, now we understand. Well, what mm -hmm. if we did this? We're like, perfect. Let's do that. Let's try that out. Mm -hmm. So over the years, and it's not just me doing it. It's, right. you know, going back 15, 20 years, developing a relationship and developing things that work mm -hmm. in real world situations at nighttime in dust what's the best way to get to safely transport people into like austere environments quickly. Mm -hmm. So they get off the helicopter. They know exactly what they need to do. We can take off. Um, one of the things we try not to do as a little bird MH6 guy is we try not to like stay on the target too long because the customer's got stuff to do. He's got to put a breach in. He's got to clear a building. He might have to do a call out where he's trying to get, people to come out without using force. His job is super hard. And the last thing we need to do is keep a noisy helicopter there too long. So we're always trying to like in, drop them off and get out of there so they can right. do their job. Mm -hmm. Minimum impact. So we're, we're taxi. Yeah. People don't like to hear that, but we're like mm -hmm. a very special 
uh, trained elite taxi yeah. service that gets yeah. people tuned from the target. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we leave, and then the the um, fire support, the AH6s or the Blackhawks with fire support, they're hanging out, and they're watching, and they're keeping them safe kind of from high ground, you know. Okay. Because it seemed, uh, it might have been the same video, might have not been, but uh, you landed, it almost seems like bouncing to me, you know what I mean? Because y'all like, I saw it came into the field, everybody jumped on, and y'all, boom. And then I see a video, everybody jumps off the helicopter, boom. You know what I mean? So it just seems like you're yeah, bouncing. It, place it's not place. a, it's just, we have like signals, hand signals. Mm. It's very, um, you know, two up left, two up right, boom, we're out. We're gone. Mm. We rejoin in flight, we're off the ground, we're not, we're getting them out of danger, if there is danger. Right. Or we're just leaving. Okay, so then what what dangers did y'all have to look out for and like uh, protect yourselves from while in the air? And then what I also was looking through like some training that y'all did. It was electronics warfare, I believe. What? What? So, yeah. you know, my helicopter is one that I flew as a street fighter. It's meant really mm-hmm. designed for urban environments. Yeah. Getting in the tight spots. We don't have a lot of electronic warfare in our helicopter yeah the bigger aircraft they have some electronic warfare stuff where they're like you know can defeat radar and defeat missiles and just various technologies right Mm -hmm. so i I didn't really have a lot of that um and i didn't have to deal with a lot of it yeah Um, so what was your second part of your question was uh oh what like dangers did you have to protect yourself from yeah so yeah i mean very typically, I mean, we try to go to, we, in combat, let's talk about combat dangers is mm-hmm. you go into combat, you're going into some, somebody where they don't want you. Yeah. So we try to do it like the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want sleepy Gabe, mm-hmm. sound asleep when the helicopter lands on his roof and we yeah. drop off the customer. Mm-hmm. So that was protection there. We, we try to, everything we do when we plan a, a mission is to give the helicopters and their customer the best chance of success and survival. Right. Going in daytime is always way more risky than nighttime. Any advantage we have with night vision goggles is gone in the daytime because the enemy can see you just as good as you can see them. Mm-hmm. So you've lost a huge part of your advantage. So, you know, small arms fire is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Surface air missiles like heat seeking missiles are a big one. RPGs are a concern as a little bird certainly people shot at little birds in iraq and afghanistan but mm-hmm. I, of all the times that i personally and this isn't true for everybody who i flew with so this is my personal they'd always rather shoot blackhawks <laughs> so as long as they're blackhawks <laughs> or chinooks in the formation yeah. it seemed like that they they would be the ones getting shot at and they're the ones yeah. with the miniguns on them uh, yeah. who can fire back mm-hmm. now for defense, our customers, they're they're protecting us. And they're the best yeah. shots in the world at, from the right. helicopter. I mean, they're okay. protecting us and um, you know, we rely on them. And we don't have them on board, mm-hmm. then we're doing things like, you know, landing in places where there's not a lot of people mm-hmm. and looking and, you know, we're landing in the desert and we're waiting for something. We're making sure that nobody's sneaking up on us. Right. Kind of thing. And then I see the other danger in Iraq, but specifically Afghanistan, was just the terrain, mm. the dark, the 
darkness, how dark it would be, and the terrain, because it was just giant mountains in Afghanistan, um, everywhere. And my helicopter, once you load it up with fuel and people, it can't climb to 13,000 feet. Mm. So any type of weather comes in or dust storm comes in, it's unforecast, you have mountains around you, just tr bad terrain that's you know, rising and falling down. It's just, that's probably the biggest one. Probably some of the scariest flights I've had were super dark, dusty, mm -hmm. can't see the horizon, Afghanistan. Um, you know, you're just glad to get home when yeah. you land. It's like super, super ski, but pucker factor is high. Pucker factor? Pucker factor. Your, your, uh, seat, your uh, seat cushion is getting sucked into your butthole because you're so scared. <laughs> <laughs> So, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh God, please. I got, it's like 13 miles. I can't see any lights. Yeah. It's, I know there's some mountains. There's a tower up here. And you're like, you mm -hmm. have, you know, you have some good systems and it's just tough, man. Yeah. So you get caught in weather. It's, that's probably the scariest thing. Okay. So then dust would like, would dust just like interfere with? But like, you see at nighttime. Or? Yeah. So at nighttime, you just can't see. One of the things about flying, combat versus like general aviation like what airliners do is you need to have the horizon visible mm. for orientation otherwise you you have to transition your instruments to fly and that's not really a good way to get to a target and land on a building you have to be able to see the building to land on it right yeah you can't just take an instrument approach to a building mm. so um when you have like less than two miles of visibility um in a really low contrast desert terrain it's, it's very easy to get in a turn and you don't even realize you're in a turn. Mm -hmm. So you just constantly have to cross-reference. It's a high pilot workload. And you got you got four other customers on board who are relying on you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of communication with our, the guy you're flying with. Like, hey, set the rate altimeter to this. Make sure I'm not in a turn. You're checking inside. If he's inside, he's telling you he's inside. You're trying to find some reference points outside, but... Mm -hmm see a light or something you don't want to like assume that's on the horizon because it could be a mountaintop or it could be something, yeah you know it's hard, it just makes it much harder to fly Difficult. so yeah so then what would what, what's like your relationship with the uh, other guy what, what would you call him like would it be your co-pilot co yeah okay so there's main pilot co-pilot and then yeah so there's all these there's all positions um generally in generally in the army there's like PI, which is a pilot, mm -hmm. and there's a PC, a PIC, which is a pilot in command. Mm -hmm. And then there's usually like a air mission commander who's like an officer who's in charge of the, all the helicopters, an AMC or whatever, air mission commander. Mm -hmm. um, that's just a regular army. In the 160th, it's a little different. When you go through all the training and you're done with training, you show up at your, the unit you're going to and you're a basic mission qualified. Mm -hmm. So it means that you're like really the unit I came from. You're not allowed to talk to the customer. Mm. And you're first there. You're just like you're you do what the fully mission qualified pilot tells you to do. The FMQ. Yeah. And even though you're a BMQ and you're you have experience, everybody has experience getting the 160th mostly. Mm. I mean, they've all been successful pilots in the big army. Right. You're back down like stock in the fridge. Shut. You don't. You don't speak until you're spoken to. Kind of. Yeah. 
when you're first there. Uh-huh. Now there is a lot of mentoring that goes on and, and to bring you along because they, everybody realizes who's been in the 160th for more than a day that the faster you progress guys up to FMQ, the better off the company is going to be healthy wise. You know, you can take leave. You don't have to you know, go on every deployment because mm-hmm. now there's another person to help you out. Right. So it's very in the, in the 160th, it goes BMQ, which is the lowest basic mission qualified, yeah, fully mission qualified. And then, Flight lead qualified, mm-hmm. and flight lead qualified is kind of it's not a compulsory. You don't have to be a flight lead in the one sixtieth. Once you make FMQ, it's kind of like, okay, you made it. Mm-hmm. You know what you're doing. You're, you're you can talk to customers. You're trusted. You're in all environments, over water, mountains, desert, city, urban environments. You are trained to the standard of the one sixtieth. Yeah, uh, flight lead is then like. The planning of the whole mission so that's okay. a different qualification okay. so it's not flight lead isn't so much like the pilot in command it's more like of the yeah it's like a regimental designation okay. so like it's like there's a pool of flight leads who whoever's available will and there's something comes up mm-hmm. hey we got and there's a flight lead for each airframe right airframe so, what's that so airframe is like ah6 the mh6 Hawks, okay. the Chinooks. Yeah. So each airframe has their own flight lead pool mm. because sometimes little birds may not be used. Mm. Sometimes it's Chinooks and Blackhawks, and sometimes it's only little birds, and sometimes it's just fires like the AH6s and the DAPs, which is the the armed uh, Blackhawk. Mm. So it just depends on what the customer needs, and then the flight lead's the one who coordinates with. So earlier you're talking about like uh, the, one of the main dangers was um, like the terrain, you know, and then and then you also mentioned that you had a, a degree in geography, right? Geology. Geology. So <laughs> I like the way you tie that together. <laughs> how how does that? <laughs> okay, so how that help? I don't think they helped at all. Because <laughs> no? no matter if you know it's uh, like. Uh, igneous outcrop or it's a sand dune it's still gonna hurt just to say <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, yeah I don't think that really has anything to do but before I joined the military mm. um, after I graduated from high school I went I got accepted to Humboldt State University which is widely known as the marijuana capital of California yeah Northern California I didn't go there to smoke weed mm went there because I went took a trip up there and it was like redwood forest it was beautiful it was on the coast mm-hmm. I grew up in the Mojave Desert it's like cactus that's Southern California right? Southern California so you went southern to northern just... and it was like it was like heaven it was like oh, the sun's not scorching down all the time mm-hmm. there's redwood forest there's fishing whitewater rafting mm-hmm. super cool it was like a very cool environment so I went to Humboldt State and I went as a pre-med, cellular and molecular biology. Oh, something else. <laughs> and I was miserable. Yeah. I was miserable because, number one, I didn't have any like study skills mm. that I needed to be successful. Yeah. There was a lot of distractions. Mm. There was a lot of parties. 
there was a lot of other things I'd rather do besides go to class. Weed capital. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't. I'm not. I wasn't a pothead or whatever. But there, yeah. I mean, certainly that was out there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it just was not the amount of work that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing it. Right. I didn't find that my classes were very interesting. I was mm -hmm. bored. No, they were hard, and they were, I was bored in them. So it was like double whammy. Double whammy, like not interested. And after two years, I was pretty much ready to like drop out of school. And I was I was gonna like take a, like jump on a train and try to like get across the country and just like be a hobo for like a couple like a year. That's awesome. Just just like <laughs> totally just backpack and just see what it was just see the rest of the country mm. and just like I was I was done with school. Mm. And I ended up that semester, that last semester, taking a geology class. It was called it was like earthquakes or some earthquake class, or whatever. It was like a elective class. Mm. And it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah. So I was like, dude. Yeah, I should change my major because I clearly that was the best class I've ever I've had in college thus far. If they were all like that, I would really like school, you know. Mm -hmm. So I stuck out one more semester and I changed my major to geology, and I loved it. It was great. Um, downside of geology is once you have a geology degree, you really need a master's degree mm -hmm. and a PhD. There's nothing really like a yeah. Joe Blow rolls out with a geology degree and he's going to yeah. like go work on an oil field and make money or he's going to get a job like researching yeah. dinosaurs or yeah. some whatever. It's just not very rare that you're like roll out of school and you're like rolling into a high paying job. Now you, now you teach geology. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of uh -huh. what, where it leads, but you need to do something before you can teach it, you know? Right. So, um, I love geology. I had great professors. I had met some great folks at Humboldt in the geology program. Mm. Graduated with a much better GPA than I had in my first two years. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, kind of something interesting, when I was in geology, I met two, two or three guys who were former military guys. Mm. And became friends. And I was always impressed. Like I'm like, how, how are you guys getting the grades you're getting? Mm. They're like, well, I wake up at this time I go for a yeah. run i do this much homework then i go to class and, and i'm like oh, let me see my morning i slept till five minutes before class mm. went to class ate like some ice cream bar and like an apple for lunch mm. then i screwed off tacky sack in the quad for an hour and then i went to another class i wasn't prepared for and then i came home and i went drinking with my buddies at the bar yeah well there's a difference in like their day mm. and my day, you know. Right. At that point, I was kind of realizing, man, I need to like, I'm not dumb, but mm. I also need to like change the way like do to be yeah. successful. I need to change my program, you know. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I they were they were like kind of the first glimpse of like, huh, that's kind of these guys got together, you know. It's kind of interesting. So I graduated and I worked a little bit in Idaho. Mm. Um, is a GM in um. Boise, because okay. like a GS six or something. It was like super low paying job, mm. and I was like, and there was other jobs kind of, but they were all like low paying, and it was like kind of competitive. You didn't know you'd, you'd have like they're gonna hire you for four months mm. or three months, but you never knew what was beyond that. What's a GS? It's like a government. I don't forget what it's called, but it's like the scale the government uses to hire civilians. Okay, GS is what they call it. It's like 
government service six is like low paying or GS five is low paying and like a GS 13 is high paying. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's like all these the scale. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I was thinking about going to get my master's degree, but I already owed a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I borrowed a lot of money to go to school. So I, one thing in the back of my mind was like, maybe I'll join the military and see how that goes for four years. And just because at the time the military had this thing called college loan repayment where mm -hmm. they would just pay off your college loans if you joined for four years. Yeah. I'm like, well, if I could just join, knock off my loans, then I could go to graduate school or do whatever I want to do. I would be debt free. I could kind of figure out what I want to do. <clears throat> so I joined. My mom and dad freaked out. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Scott? Yeah. Like they're like, I'm like, I went to I went to Sacramento, I signed up and I'm shipping out on this date. Mm. They're like, couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um and it, it was I mean it was definitely like a I didn't realize what I was getting into. I'm guessing you didn't have a military family then. Did not. Was, yeah. No mil like zero. Yeah. My uncle was drafted in Vietnam, but he I don't think he ever went. He was like the war ended before he went. Okay. Lucky him. But he's <laughs> like, you know, he had basic training stories and stuff. They were like hilarious. And I yeah. knew some other people with like they're all funny stories. They don't tell mm -hmm. you about the, all the <laughs> they don't tell you about eating like uh powdered eggs in the middle of a rainstorm at six in the morning, you know, with your yeah. plates full of water. <laughs> I don't tell you that part. <laughs> but um yeah, so I, I joined the military infantry because so i was like if i'm gonna join the military i am going to do army shit i do not want to join and be like an x-ray technician nothing wrong with it but i wanted to like if i was gonna join i wanted to shoot guns and do army shit jump out of planes whatever and then be done then get out of my system yeah so i joined went down to fort benning georgia mm. and uh, went through basic training and they were handing out the assignments in basic training. They're like, all right, you're a 11 x-ray, which is, or I was 11 x-ray, you're 11 Mike, which means you're a mechanized infantry guy, which means you're in a Bradley fighting mm -hmm. vehicle. Yeah. I was like, oh no, it's not what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to like go jump out of planes and now I'm in a Bradley. So yeah. I had to stay there at this basic training for an extra like 13 weeks to learn how to like, you know, change the oil and, how to PM, you know, check if it's, everything works and drive it and sh learn how it shoots and all that stuff. Got stationed at Fort Raleigh, Kansas. When I got there, the unit just got back from Kosovo, Bosnia rotation, and everybody was in trouble. Like everybody came back and they were all like getting DUIs. Uh, mm -hmm. Um credit cards are like overdue, not making their car payments, getting divorces. It's crazy. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Like the, the, at nighttime and I'm, I'm like used to basic training where it's very, everything's like orderly. Mm. You are the, when the barracks and there's like kegs getting rolled down the thing and like strippers <laughs> like hanging out in rooms and there's like yeah. beer cans piled up in rooms and, incense burning and like loud till like three in the morning i'm just like oh my god what is going on here yeah it's like um, an insane college dorm room just insane <laughs> like they're playing for keeps <laughs> like this is for keeps right 
it wasn't just like college kids it was like crazy like yeah you know, all different walks of life okay so it wasn't just military no it was built it was all military because no, it like, was just military. <laughs> it was, they were all, dude, from every different like background you can imagine just yeah and they just got back from a year in kosovo and they're just like mm. losing their minds mm. so i was like i was went from like hopeful to not impressed in like a week i'm like oh my god this is not what i yeah. signed up for we did our first exercise we're like, like training thing and it was like we got in the back of this bradley there was no like hey this is what we're doing this is what we're gonna try to see it was like get in bradley stopped dropped us off it was like everybody started eating mres in the shade mm-hmm didn't do anything we walked like half a mile and then like five hours later bradley comes pulling up we jumped in the back and that was it it was exhilarating not it was like i'm like pulling security <laughs> and everybody's like taking naps and sleeping i'm like what's going on here you know it's like yeah and then i started thinking like if i have, if i go to combat with these guys yeah. i'm gonna be scared and shitless because they're mm. they're not taking this very seriously at all right granted they're a totally different perspective at that point mm. you know than me i was like brand new out of basic training all oh yeah filled with piss and vinegar and stuff so what's uh is a bradley like the armored it's like a it's like looks thing. like a tank but has a smaller gun okay and yeah okay. i played battlefield right now. <laughs> yeah. so yeah so then after so that kind of happened and then um a couple things you know people got in trouble and i got moved to i asked for my own room because i was like not sleeping at all at night time Got my own mm. room, which was great. Right. I mean, I like to party too, but I not to every night of the week for yeah weeks on end. It was like mm. too much. Um, so I got to have my own room, so I could like close the door and not be a part of it. Um, and then uh, I got moved to be a driver for the XO, the executive officer of the battalion, because mm. his driver, or whatever, was leaving or he got in trouble, or whatever. So I got to be the XO's driver, which. Everybody's like, oh, I'm jealous. You don't have to do anything. But it was like, it wasn't what I joined the military to do, to be a driver for a major. Yeah. It was like, it hum- I had my own Humvee. It said like, specialist Newmeyer. And then on the other side, it said, Major Blaine. Mm-hmm. And I had to like, take care of the Humvee. I had to do oil changes on it. I had to like, make sure the radios worked every Monday and drive him yeah. around when he wanted to go to the field. And it just wasn't yeah. like, what I thought I wanted to do in the army. Somehow, despite me being excited about the military, mm-hmm. I got stuck in this like kind of like it's kind of like a. Um, it's just for. Yeah, I'm, I'm a driver now for uh, <laughs> you know whatever. Um, so I quickly started like formulating like hmm, what are my options? What can I do? Mm-hmm. Special forces was an option, and then flight school. Right. And luckily, my chain of command, my um, bosses major mm. the sergeant major the battalion they were all very like um, supportive of that mm. and they let me do all the paperwork fill out everything go to my appointments take all the tests i needed to take get a flight physical all that stuff and i got accepted i was going to go to the uh, special forces assessment when i got picked up for flight school mm. and i called my recruiter special forces he's like dude if you show up here next week i'll beat your ass personally you better go fly helicopters 
Yeah. So I was like, Roger that. So I mm. said, hey, take me off. I'm going to go do this thing. Mm. And, sort of, and that's went through walk school, which is the warrant officer candidate school because you're enlisted and you got to become an officer. So they got to put you through this, mm. this warrant officer candidate school. And then they put you through, sort of put you through flight school. What I understand, you had to be a pretty smart dude to be a pilot, right? Not apparently not. <laughs> apparently, apparently, I, I I think that um, I think the thing the military teaches you is like hard work, right? Gets you where you need to go, like mm-hmm. preparation, planning ahead, hard work. Like if I had the skills I had that I learned in the military when I was in college, mm-hmm. I probably would have never changed my major. I probably would have been. But I don't think you have to be smart. I just think you have to be like dedicated. And you, right. have to, you can't be dumb, obviously. You can't be like, oh, I don't know. I can't add, you know, 30 plus 30. You know, like, you can't be dumb. But you, yeah. but you have to. But I think that you don't have to be, you don't have to be a genius. You just have to be like, you have to have um, common sense. Yeah, common sense. And you have to be able to work hard. Yes. <laughs> yes, you have to be able to work hard. Yeah, that's one thing you're talking about. Uh, Trying to, because you met the guys in college and everything, and I'm just like, discipline, like the discipline, like is probably like the hardest thing to like teach yourself. And that's one thing like the military definitely gives you. you know? like, it does. It. I mean, I look back, and I'm, I look back at my four years of, well, six years in college, because <laughs> mm. <laughs> two years were kind of like. <laughs> I look back at my six years of college, and I'm thinking like, man, oh man. Mm. And I, I developed. You know, I grew as a person, and I got better as the school went on but I look back and I'm like I can't I don't even recognize that person yeah I don't recognize how undisciplined I was and how chaotic my life was and just like no plan from day to day yeah I mean it's just to me it's crazy the military really instilled that to me whereas like hey if you have a goal and it's a long-term goal there are sacrifices that you're gonna have to make and things that you're gonna have to do by certain times and suspenses and you have to meet to get there right and and that really that's that's that was a great lesson for me mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's been great throughout the rest of my military career because that never changed and it's something i try to like obviously my kids my 11 year old mm-hmm. you know Fortnite and <laughs> and yeah. you know just other stuff are interesting to him right now you know having a but I always try to like, hey, have a plan for your homework this week. Mm. Write it down somewhere in your room. I'm not going to try to like micromanage you, but I want you to have a plan so that you are completing what you need to complete. Right. You know, I, I really didn't have that. Or maybe my mom and dad did do that to me, mm. but I just didn't, it just didn't stick. Yeah. Things don't. It's like, that's right. So I know there's this medieval, um, like, uh, I forgot what his name was, but it was like this idea that like a certain philosopher had, you know, and he like, uh, um, he made a very drastic claim that who you are from like a kid to like, uh, I don't know, for like from 16 to 20, you're not the same person as you were four years ago. Like you're not, he's not saying that you developed, he's saying that you're a different person like that's that's not who you used like that's that's not you in the past that's just 
a completely different, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what do you, I don't know, what do you think about? I, I like, don't know. I don't, I don't think you're totally different. I, in fact, I was going through some old stuff, um, mm. boxes we're trying to pack up right now and get storage unit organized. And I found some stuff from like fifth, from fifth grade. Mm. And my son's in fifth grade right now. Yeah. And I opened it up and I'm like reading what I wrote when I was in fifth grade and he's in fifth grade. And he's like, dad, you don't, you had really good cursive, but you, you don't write very well. And you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like critiquing, you know what I mean? But, um, I, I re- I look at that and I'm like, you know, I sort of recognize who that is, mm-hmm. but it's, but, but you, I, I don't, I, I think you're continually evolving as you, mm-hmm. I mean, I look at myself. Um, I think I've changed since I retired. Mm-hmm. I think I changed when I had kids. From the you know, when I when I had Wyatt in 2010, I was in the military. It was deployment schedule was crazy. The mission op tempo was crazy in the military, and I got like two or three months home with him where I didn't have to go anywhere. And then I had to go back to Iraq. Mm. And I remember climbing on that plane, we loaded our helicopter helicopters on it, loaded all our stuff, we got my subway sandwich and water and my Ambien. We're going to fly to Germany and then we're going to fly to Iraq somewhere. And I remember saying, man, this has changed. Like, I am not in the same mind space as I was mm-hmm. on my last deployment because I have a kid. Right. And you realize, like, I want to be a part of that kid's life. I want to, like, yeah. I want to see him walk. I want to see him say his first word. I want to see all this stuff. And you're mm-hmm. getting on a plane to go to combat. Yeah. That was, that was, that changed me. That, that, mm. you know, having kids makes you prioritize. You're not the most important thing in the world anymore. Now you're like worried about your kids and like, mm. you know, am I going to be there for them? And are they going to, are they okay when I'm gone? And are they going to miss me? Or are they not going to miss me and all that stuff? So I, I think it's a constant, to me, it feels like a, it's an evolution. Mm. But when you look, when you look far enough back, you don't, maybe don't recognize everything. Yeah. Because yeah. it's gradual enough. Right. But I can remember like 2010, I remember like, oh, it's different now. Mm. It feels different. This is a different deployment mm-hmm. because it's not just me. If I get shot in the face, it's not just me getting a funeral and my friends being, oh, he's a good dude. Mm. Now there's like a kid who's not going to grow up with us. He's going to grow up with his dad. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was like, that, that hit home, you know. Obviously having a kid isn't a small thing at all. No. But that one... That one change just completely flips everything upside down, pretty much. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it, did, and it didn't change the way I like did my job because yeah. the way I think the way I am is once I start doing something, I'm very focused on it. Mm-hmm. Like very, I don't think about any like distractions don't matter. I'm just like yeah. laser focused in. But it did change the way, like big picture that I viewed, mm-hmm. like how much I wanted to be away from home what my next job in the military was going to be and what did it, my home time look like versus my away time. Mm. That changed when I was doing, I was actually flying missions or whatever. It didn't change that. I don't think as much, but it was like when mm. I stepped back from it and I was like, Oh, I want to be with him more. Mm. I want to spend more time with my kid or I want to be home more. That definitely changed it. You know? Yeah. So I'm going into mm-hmm. flying into these dangerous situations and everything like, uh, uh, like, you know, you did to, fighting that's kind of almost people tend to like connect that to like a spiritual experience you know what i mean because it's like an 
intimate, you know, battle of individuals of wills or you know, so how does does that change once you go into like war or I think my experience, my combat experience was like my 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 military experience and my combat experience were so different than a lot of meds. Mm-hmm. Just because it was I mean my first my first deployment was in a regular army unit. And there was certainly some like scary moments and some dicey things that happened and like horrible things that you saw, but I wasn't, I wasn't driving a truck in Baghdad with IEDs going off. I was in a helicopter. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's a little bit separated from that. You are, you're separated from it. You're seeing it, you're watching it, but you're not affected by it. Mm. Like the, like the guys on the ground. So that was always like, always try to think about that when we were like doing route recons and looking for IEDs. Like I'm first of all, I'm glad I'm in a helicopter right now because this is like a crazy, you, you, there's roads in Iraq where you would fly down them and every hundred yards would be a giant crater blown out of it because they were just sending IEDs left and right. Mm-hmm. And like, dude, I would not want to drive a vehicle down that road. That is like a dangerous ass road. You know, yeah. there's like 40 holes in it from mm-hmm. people trying to you know, blow up soldiers, you know, but, um, and then like, I think a lot of like in my one sixtieth combat experience, it was very intense, like mm-hmm. very up close and personal sometimes with, you know, confronting the enemy, you're, you know, you're, you're doing sniper work or whatever, but man, I was, I was with like, great people and mm-hmm. great customers and always felt in control. You know, I think that the thing that changes people is when they don't feel like they're in control. Mm-hmm. The scariest things where I still have like some once in a while I have like a bad dream about it was like going to a boat in the middle of the night. Yeah. Over water, boat's moving, it's dark, you're in NVGs, the wind's blowing, you're high gross weight, and you're trying to get on that ship. Mm-hmm. Like that that because now your control is taken away. Yeah. It's like nature, yeah. the ocean, the ship, they all have a say on like kind of what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that experience you had, or is that just a, like a dream? Or... No, that's experience. Okay. Like, it's a trick. So we go, we do a lot of like stuff over water. Yeah, going out to sh- to ships and training on different platforms out there. Wait, so you would swim, or we fly. Fly. Oh, okay. We okay. fly. We take off from the beach, or we take off from a ship, and we fly to a target vessel, mm-hmm. and we do, you know, we put guys on yeah. the target vessel when it's moving and it's like waves are going, and you're trying to like rope some guys to a deck mm. and you're trying to match the motion of the ship and keep the guys so they're not swinging off the sides and it, it super like probably the hardest flying there is so has to, yeah because could you even predict the way that the ship was about to well, go? you sort of could but i mean there's always like it's like can you predict what the waves are doing i mean there's like there's a rhythm to it but there's also like random stuff that happens too yeah that's that's crazy uh because Seemed like a big point that you had was that like people freak out whenever they don't have control, and then you have that dream. Well, I mean, it, like I still have like I, like I don't dream about combat. I don't really think yeah. about some of the stuff I saw, which is very violent, like people blowing themselves up with suicide vests and all that stuff. I don't think I don't like dream about that. I really think like the scary part is like mm-hmm. some of these infills I did were like super close or super close calls or mm-hmm. going to a ship and it's like super dark and just like get, maybe just getting lucky. Yeah. 
that's like when you don't have control like that that's where it gets like mm. you know the luck is yeah and it's and, they, and they, the, it's you don't have control and the consequences are severe because mm. you're in like you know five thousand feet of water right yeah <laughs> and that has to be those situations you have least control as yeah. so that, that those like that when i think about those, that kind of thing is like very that's that's where like like i'm glad i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> yeah. i'm good totally Man. cool <laughs> That'd be crazy what kind of i'm curious what like so you so say you're and you're doing infiltration onto a ship what kind of what kind of ship is that like most of our training ships Okay. Or just U.S. vessels that the Navy would use to train on, mm-hmm. or they'd be Navy ships that we would like use as target ships. But mm-hmm. you know, we needed to, we need to practice because that's it's a skill that mm-hmm. you don't get to practice every day on. It's not like you can build a little village or whatever and do approaches and do it. You need a ship on the water that's yeah. manned with uh, personnel, mm-hmm. and to do all these, we had just all these approaches that we practice and stuff. So. How would you even approach that? Because in my head, like people are all over the deck and then you're trying to do an infiltration. Like, well, in, in a real world scenario, it'd be like um, maybe some pirates took over a ship mm-hmm. and you want to get the ship back. Yeah. So we have techniques for like, first of all, snipers, you know, taking a look and getting rid of people on deck and then getting guys on deck and mm-hmm. taking control of the ship. From They're sniping from the helicopter or Bo- from... Boats or heli- whatever. Okay. There's different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So we'd always we'd always like thinking about that mm. super interesting it is and i don't want to go into too much of the details because yeah. it's like you know mm. it's still being used <laughs> okay <I got you. laughs> but yeah it's uh, that kind of flying though over water uh-huh. remember i said low contrast low visibility mm. no horizon water's where that comes into play okay more so than or Kind of like the desert, just a flat desert. It's the same thing. If it's not a lot, if there's not a lot of wind on the water, mm. you know, just you don't have any white caps. It can just look very. You can't tell how high you are. Yeah, you can't tell if you're ten feet or hundred feet. Mm. And and weirdly enough, the higher you go, the more disorienting it gets mm. because it's just even harder to see the horizon. It's sometimes. just a ton of the same. And thing. you're seeing stars in the oh really water. Yeah, you're seeing stars up here. And you look out and you can't really see a horizon. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're flying in like a globe with yeah. stars everywhere. See, that just seems... <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. That's like... It's not funny. Man. Yeah. I feel like th- that must have been pretty though. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the, the things you get to see too yeah. and the places you get to visit and stuff are, are super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And also makes you like... Like we're sitting here and we're looking out the city and stuff and you're just like man i'm so glad i'm an american because, yes sir <laughs> i've seen like i know yeah. i know what afghanistan looks like yeah you know and not even from, like intimately but like from the air mm. and i know i know 100 that i'm glad i'm in mm. omaha nebraska right now. oh yeah especially the recent <laughs> afghanistan stuff yeah too. i mean i feel terrible for those people right now yeah what did you what did you think about that like because that wasn't that was yeah, that was like a year ago. Maybe? Yep. I I think that um, <laughs> like I've heard different people talk about it and stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, supposedly experts or whatever. And I'm no I'm no expert. I have opinion. 
doesn't matter mm-hmm. what I really what I think. But <clears throat> when you're going to do a, a withdrawal from a country like that, and you have all that military hardware, and you have all those bases, mm-hmm. you have you have to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like they boxed the government boxed themselves into a corner, and they didn't really have a great plan. Right. And they had a sort of a plan at the very end, mm-hmm. the end game. But it seems like if you're going to get out of Afghanistan, that's a two-year plan. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what we were talking about, like having to. Yeah. And if you and if you don't meet certain things, and you have to like delay them, and you have to, you know, you have to make sure certain things. I, I think that um, coming out of the capital of Kabul as the mm-hmm. last place we were was a mistake. Okay. Because I think that Bagram is a better location. It's more isolated. It's easier to control the territory and the ground there. Mm. More aircraft can land. There's more uh, logistical support there. I mean, it's just a better situation. Yeah. I don't. Once again, I don't know. I'm not privy to the details of that. Mm-hmm. But it just seems. It just seemed like it was a. It was a half-hearted. Yeah. Just bail, and I think that the, you know, I don't think. People who say we weren't, we don't believe the Taliban should have, um, we didn't think they would move that fast. That's BS. Mm. I think that they knew that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're trying to make everybody, you know, look like they knew what they were doing. So yeah. <clears throat> to me, it looks like they like decided to leave that week. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that that perception is, I mean, I think there was discussions. I mean, there was discussions mm-hmm. when I was back in the military about yeah. retrograding out of Afghanistan. But the way they did it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was not what you call an A game plan right there. Yeah, that no. was a little bit. Yeah. Do you think? Why do you think? Because I heard a an opinion uh, that perhaps they left all that equipment behind so that they could like make better and newer stuff. Like because they armed these Afghans and then like, the Taliban and then now they're. I don't know. I don't know why they would leave some of the stuff. I mean, they left some high-end like UAVs and stuff over there. Um, yeah. And I don't know what everything they left. And I don't. I know that like in in Iraq, we mm-hmm. had all these mill vans everywhere, like these um, containers, like metal containers mm-hmm. you see on top of trains and stuff. Yeah. And like they were doing the cost analysis, and this is what I heard: it was like mm-hmm. to get those out of there would cost more than just buying. Like yeah. it's just cheaper to leave them there yeah. because transporting them out of the country would require like, okay, first we got to get them consolidated in Iraq mm-hmm. and then we got to move them by vehicle to a port and then we got to store them at the port. Then we got to get a ship. They got to get loaded onto the ship, driven you know, across the ocean, downloaded at a port. And then what do we do with them? Yeah. Nobody wants them. Right. And then we got to like, so mm. I don't know how with the cost analysis. I don't know if anybody will ever see that. Yeah. But it seems like some of the stuff we left was probably not the wisest thing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I might not want to. Like got helicopters, it. I'm yeah. not sure. Helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the Taliban probably have uh, destroyed most of them, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just trying to fly them, and they're doing the the fucking bronco. <laughs> well, I think that there's videos of yeah. them crashing them. Oh, really? On so. YouTube, yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And it was one of the most enraging things when you saw them and all the U.S. gear, like, walking around and stuff. So. Um, yeah, and just, like, the, 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 
and you see the desperation of the people climbing onto uh, C-17 jets mm. and hanging on to yeah. them while they take off. Yeah. Having been on many, many, many C-17s, that, that did, I can't even imagine that's a good plan. But the mm. fact that they thought it was, is crazy. Right. And afterwards, I think you saw why. Because, mm. like, oh, yeah. the streets were... They're desperate, man. It's yeah. a, people who think that, like, the Taliban, I mean, the, when you see the brutality that, that the Taliban and the, some of the insurgents in Iraq that they mm-hmm. inflicted on their own people, it's, I mean, it's truly evil. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's hard to imagine a person would be willing to do that to another person. Mm-hmm. But they do it all the time. Yeah. So, I don't know. Some historians um, uh, contribute the fact that uh, Afghanistan is, because I believe Afghanistan is as far as Genghis Khan went. Mm-hmm. And they and they contribute like Genghis uh, or Afghanistan's uh, um, state almost or not. Not so much the state, but basically Genghis Khan wiped out like that entire area, destroyed all their information, basically reset them back to like, you know, living in caves and stuff like that. Like, and I guess partially to the situation today. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. I don't. I don't know. Um, I, it, you know, I thought when I went to Iraq for the first time, I thought Iraq was like, wow, this place is. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Afghanistan. I was like, man, that Iraq's high tech, man. They got really? satellite dishes and they got <laughs> lights on their houses. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's like families, we see families flying across the desert and they got like three camels. Yeah. They got four kids, and there's a man and a woman. That's and they're insane. like they're literally living off of camel milk. Jeez. Crossing a desert. And there's like you'll be flying and you'll see mm-hmm. there will be, be a single light. As far as you can see, in any direction, wow! Not a single bolt of electricity, except from your helicopter, in every direction. You're just like, what is Iraq? Yeah. You always see like you'd always see sunlight. You see a refinery yeah. being burning on the mm-hmm. horizon. You don't. You see it wasn't a ton. It wasn't like flying over like L.A. or something. But it was like, you know, Baghdad. There's lights and there's like parties going on and this and that. And, mm-hmm. Mosul, there was parties going on. And when Eastman and I was flying over Mosul, it was like it was like a very, um, it was a very like hip city, you know. There's like parties and bazaars and restaurants and all this stuff, and you would smell good. It would smell like you know good mm-hmm. food being cooked and stuff. And um, <laughs> Afghanistan was just like crazy, yeah. Like, Except for the big cities, that was it, man. It was nothing. That is pretty insane. Because yeah, when I see Iraq, I'm like. So in my head, there's no difference almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I th- I th- it's a big difference, I think. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's just, yeah, it's a totally different culture and everything. Yeah. The, um, man, I thought I had a cool question. But kind of, yeah. Shoot. Um, what was like, what was the, what did you train for? And then what? situations did you like actually uh, encounter like so training the one thing that makes i think the 160th unique from 
not mm-hmm. all not all military organizations, but the one sixtieth does a really good job of training contingencies. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever did a flight as a tra- group where there wasn't a contingency that was thrown in. Whether it was inadvertent INC, which is a meteorological condition where you you it becomes um, from VFR to IFR visual flight rules to instrument flight rules. So you're flying in a mm-hmm. group of helicopters, like 10 helicopters, mm-hmm. and you get some unforecast weather. Mm-hmm. Now you can't see each other. What do you do? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta, do a, you gotta do an IMC breakup where you gotta like get the flight broken up, different altitudes, different directions, mm-hmm. and then you gotta have a recovery plan to get them all on the ground. Oh, uh, okay. So, like yeah. that's something like it's not easy to plan. It's a pain in the ass to plan. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like looking up stuff and making sure that everybody's good. You can climb to this altitude. You can climb to this altitude. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like something like that, or a cas- casualty on target. I think every training event mm-hmm. there'd be a simulated casavac. Mm-hmm. Somebody would get hurt. Simulated. Now a helicopter has to come and take that person to hospital mm-hmm. and now when it's time to get everybody off target there's not enough helicopters mm-hmm. so what do you do so mm-hmm. all these contingencies we train for all the time mm-hmm. so i think in the 160th um we're very good at that we were yeah. very good. you know i'm not there anymore but one thing we, i think they always are training for that kind of thing is mm-hmm. some happens we run out this this where we're going to gas doesn't have gas Mm-hmm. what's our plan yeah if we take a casualty on target what's our plan if those two happen at the same time what's our plan mm-hmm. if you know when you walk the dog of like all the way down to like okay we crashed a helicopter one casavac and one helicopter's guns don't work what's our plan and, and looking at all those different scenarios and like okay what's the best course of action and have already talked about it. Maybe you don't have a perfect plan because you don't know ex- exactly when everything's going to happen. Right. But as the flight lead, we'll talk to the air mission commander and be like, hey, if this happens and this happens, we need to start looking at getting some resources from elsewhere to get our guys off target or, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. So the training that we did, I don't think I ever experienced something in like live combat or a live mission mm-hmm. that we didn't trained for yeah which is a great feeling oh yeah it's not always great that it happens Mm -hmm. but it's a great feeling that like okay we know what to do we so there's no question of who's landing who's staying airborne who's Mm -hmm. making the radio calls who's coordinating with the hospital any of that is all taken care of Mm -hmm. and um you've already talked about it you've already thought about it um that's something too like i think in just a life my wife and I do pretty good, like, or whatever. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to try to do this. Yeah. But if it doesn't work, on my fallback, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them, you know, I'm not going to give them side control. I'm going to give, I'm going to get them in half guard or mm-hmm. a fallback or, you know, yeah. contingencies. It's, yeah. we do it in life. We do it mm-hmm. in jujitsu. We do it financially. We do it mm-hmm. driving when you're driving on a highway. Like, oh, if that truck, you ever think about you're driving and like, that truck gets a flat tire mm-hmm. and it comes over my lane. Where am I going? Yeah. Or what am I doing? Am I stopping? Is there cars behind me or am I getting over or am mm-hmm. I whatever? That's crazy because y'all, yeah, I guess that is a very important thing to have in life. And then 
seems that y'all, so y'all prepare for every single situation and y'all not only having like such a large like variety of problems to solve, but also large combinations, variety of com combinations to solve, of problems to solve. And then on top of that, you must have repped that a ton of times so that when you're in that high stake situation or a stressful situation, you're able to just. Yeah. We, so what makes it all possible is we have a SOP, standard yeah. operating procedure. Okay. Pretty much you memorize it. When you're a BNQ, mm -hmm. even before that, you're getting this thing and you're like looking at it and you're, I don't know what to do here. Like, we'll go look, the, look at the SOP. Mm -hmm. And you go to the SOP, you're like, oh, okay, I do this, this, and this. It's almost like a, like a checklist or mm -hmm. and we have all these pro words that we use like lame duck means like helicopter broken. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm lame duck on the objective. Mm -hmm. Everybody's okay. Or I'm lame duck, we have injuries. So instantly, everybody in the entire flight, they hear that. They're like, okay, we got an aircraft down. They know the call sign. And they know there's either injuries or no injuries. Everybody's got a job to do at that point. Mm. Or it might be flying across country to go somewhere. Hey, I got a, I got a yellow duck, which means I got to take a piss. So you got to <laughs> land somewhere and take a piss. Yeah. Or you're flying somebody, or say you're flying a VIP. Hey, I'm green duck. And you're landed. It means I got a sick passenger. Mm -hmm. They get air sick or whatever. Yeah. So we had all, we had pro words for everything where it was like very, I don't have to like explain myself on the radio. It just mm -hmm. made the communication very concise and right. clean. Plus, we had our SOPs to fall back on. If we did, if something happened and we didn't talk about it, mm -hmm. everybody's mind went to the SOP and said, okay, this is what he should be doing. This is and maybe it's a quick conversation on the radio, clear up any confusion, and everybody knows what they're doing. Okay. Because everybody's familiar with this document. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a thick book. Oh yeah. And I'm sure y'all are very well versed <laughs> in that very thick book. Too. It had like weather and it. it had, you know, everything you can imagine. Yeah. In it, so. so then, <clears throat> I don't know, because I guess you don't, or at least I don't, you know, think about that. Like who's thinking about all of these different, like, uh, situations, like, like who, who's like the mastermind behind the SOP? Well, the SOP is like a living document. Mm -hmm. So it started off as like a little couple pages yeah. back when the plank holders were flying okay. with their full face NVGs and then it's developed mm -hmm. okay. and as helicopters become more complicated or the mission sets change, more stuff's added and over the years it just becomes this document. And I'm sure the SOP today, yeah, it's in the 160th, is different from the one that I knew. Mm -hmm. It's always changing. It's changed probably 10 times while I was there. Little things would change. They'd put like a little marker. Hey, we're doing this different now. So, mm. you can remember it. so it's not so much a dogmatic uh, procedure. It's <clears throat> like, and, and living document has to be the only way that you can properly. Yeah, because maybe there's that. like maybe there's a helicopter accident mm. or something, and somebody got killed for, and they could have prevented it, or they could have wore a certain equipment, or they could have whatever. Mm. They, the SOP may change just say, okay, that will never happen again. We're going to do everything we can to ensure that that doesn't happen by doing this. Right. And so that gets added to the SOP. Mm -hmm. So every, anytime there's, I mean, just experience, just as missions happen, the SOP gets massaged and changed and you know, worked out. So I don't think in which you'd be surprised that there's probably not a ton of military 
organizations. Mm-hmm. I think my first unit, uh, the CAV, they had an SOP, but nobody really like, we just kind of made up our own stuff. We did have an mm-hmm. SOP and maybe, but it wasn't like everybody in the unit's going to know this. Yeah. From like the lowest crew chief to the senior pilot, they're all mm-hmm. going to know what's in this thing. It wasn't like that strictly enforced. Was it like uh, less... Uh, uh, lower uh, stakes is that the reason why or I think I think just because um, the 160th is asked to do stuff on a regular basis okay. we, we, stuff that we don't hear about now I don't hear about until months later that something's happened or they've yeah. done a mission or whatever um, so that there, there's a, always a need for everything mm. to be refreshed on you know, an army unit, a regular aviation unit, they may not go to combat for 10 years. Mm-hmm. There might be five different commanders that roll through a unit and they never deploy. That's pretty crazy. Thing they might go to training exercises and yeah. they're, I mean, and they're all good pilots and they're all, you know, whatever. I'm not disparaging them, but they may not actually go do something mm-hmm. like real life mm-hmm. with bad guys and all that stuff. With the 160th, man, you can. Any time it can happen. So I think that that SOP is even, that's what makes it so important. It's hard to impress on SOP on if you're not right. actually doing it. You know? The 160 is, is the, those are the people that are continually relied on. In the yeah, they're, they're, the, they're part of the, like, the national mission force. Mm-hmm. When something goes wrong, there are a few units that you're going to grab mm-hmm. assets from to go take care of that problem. Right. They're not meant for like a sustained warfare like mm-hmm. you know continual warfare even though that, that's what we were engaged in for a long time mm-hmm. um, they're more we're more like hey there's a problem we need to get that solved okay. so then uh, in uh, 2006 you mentioned this earlier uh, basic mission and then in 2015 it was uh, flight lead I think flight lead okay so then what so then what was in between that, like 2006 and 2015? Like, so I, when I assessed, it was like 2004, I was a BMQ for two years, mm-hmm. became an FMQ. What was it? There's just lots of deployments. I had, mm-hmm. I think I had 19 or 20 deployments in my career as a 160. Those are combat deployments, not just, never mind going to like, yeah. training in LA or training in New York or training in Miami or training in wherever Louisville or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we just, just filled up with training. And then the nice thing about the 160th is um, there's no shortage of flight hours. Mm-hmm. Flying a helicopter is expensive, but I mean, if you wanted to fly a helicopter every single night of the week, mm-hmm. you could. Nobody's going to say no. Mm-hmm. You could fly as much as you wanted. And um, <clears throat> as an IP, you know, you're, when you, every time you go out, you're trying to train, take the new guys and get them out and just train, mm-hmm. train, 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 do different, you know, do the same approach 50 times, mm-hmm. but now it's different weights. It's at nighttime, different wind characteristics, different temperatures, all that stuff makes a difference in how the helicopter reacts and the terminal phase of the approach. Just getting that. It's kind of like repping jujitsu moves. Yeah. So in that, what was it? Uh, nine year time frame that that's all you were doing just 
completely immersed, figuring out what if this happens, what if that happens, and then training people. This yeah. was your yep. And, you, and you're working with the, the, the company's not very big. It's a mm-hmm. small company. Yeah. And they're you just get to know they're their family mm-hmm. at that point, you know. Yeah. So yeah, you just it was like you just like oh, it's almost one of those situations where be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be I wanted to be a night stalker, uh-huh. and it's like okay, here you go. Mm-hmm. You are going to be a busy dude for the next nine years, mm. which is awesome. Was awesome. Like yeah. I have no regrets. Right. Great people, great friends, great commanders, <clears throat> great crew chiefs, great avionics soldiers. I mean, I still am friends with them on Facebook, and I still check in with them. And like, we'll never, you know, we'll always have a bond because of what we went through in that time frame. You know. Right. Um, yeah. It was. It was. It was way different than my previous military experience. (laughs) It was constant. And the one thing I really enjoyed too was um, I got to be an instructor pilot Mm -hmm. in the big army. And then I came over and went through my progression and I was an instructor pilot in the 160th. And that was one thing I think I made growth on too, is I maybe wasn't the best instructor pilot initially and I got better and better as the time went on and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, just because you you get more comfortable with letting a student make mistakes. Mm. At first you're like, you know, cause if he makes a mistake, it's on you. Yeah. It's, you know what the write-up is? Mm. IP laid on the controls. No matter what he does, <laughs> you're to blame because you're the in charge of the aircraft. Yeah. So you're trying to give him the most realistic experience you mm. can, but you're also like responsible for this piece of equipment that the commander is trusting mm. you with. So that was always a balance. I wasn't always the best at I was always like, you know, wouldn't let him get too far out of range. And as you get more experience, you're like, okay, I'm going to let him fuck this up mm. so he can learn from it. And, you know, mm. part of it. It's part of just like getting more comfortable with. Was being an instructor pilot uh, required? Because to me, it seems like that would, like if over... Your, that's all you're doing is figuring out the in and ins and outs of all this stuff. It almost seems like it's concurrent help it's, there. It's a concurrent job. Mm-hmm. So you're always once you're an instructor pilot, you're you're not just instructing in a cockpit. You're also helping. The, I understand the SOP. Mm-hmm. You're helping. <clears throat> you're helping the flight lead if you're an FMQ or maybe you're a instructor pilot flight lead. You're doing mm-hmm. evals on the side to help progress guys. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an internal job. Yeah. for the company to, to get guys evaluated to make sure they're proficient mm-hmm. and also to move them up to get them to the next career path you know mm-hmm. so okay. so then I don't mean to rewind super far <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you said you grew up in Southern California was that a and you said Victorville or Apple Valley? Apple Valley, yeah. Victorville's next door. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with Victorville at all? Apple Valley. Uh, some of my family lives there, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it was, that's yeah. crazy. Um, Victorville is known as I always say Victorville because they're like, um, like Dan Henderson, UFC. Mm-hmm. He's a Victorville. I think he went to Victorville. Did he really? Yeah, Victorville is like. California state champions for a bunch of years wrestling and stuff. We always yeah. like, Apple Valley always got beat by him. 
but <clears throat> yeah, so Apple Valley is where I grew up. Mm, okay. And Dan Henderson have a T-shirt, the lab T-shirt. I got a sign. Just <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it was a, it was kind of crazy. Um, you been, have you been to Apple Valley? Yeah, uh, handful of times. Yeah. So it's, it's like Joshua trees, and mm. I mean, it's just, back back when I was like a kid, it was like way less than it is now. I go yeah. back now, I'm like, whoa, this place is like crazy. Yeah. But there was like empty lots everywhere, and mm. you know, we'd like get our motorcycles and we just we just go ride. Mm. Like I don't know what my mom and dad were thinking. Just like take off in the motorcycle. I don't even know if they knew. Maybe yeah. I, they didn't know. Maybe they didn't tell them. I don't know. I'd run out of gas and like talk some poor old lady into giving me a couple gallons of gas and I'd ride home. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what'd you do today? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Rode almost to Barstow. <laughs> Just riding motorcycles. I don't know if they know. It yeah. So, funny. so yeah, I grew up in Apple Valley and um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a kind of a weird, that's like a unique place to. I would love to be live in Cali, man. or I would have loved to live in Cali. But yeah, when I used to, we go back to like the Midwest to visit some like uh, relatives, in, like Illinois. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I remember being like, you know, you know, junior high or something, and like the assumption was because we were from California, Southern California, mm-hmm. that like we like knew Madonna and we like <laughs> hung out like in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So, like you, you have no. I live in the yeah. desert, dude. There's yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Being for Cal, you're automatically cooler than anybody else. And uh, you just, surf. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have surfed, but I wouldn't consider myself a surfer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ski? There's mountains there. Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Valley, man. Yeah, it's totally. <laughs> That's awesome. You can do both in the same day, but I'm not good at either. <laughs> yeah. How... Okay, so but it's been a while since I've been to Apple Valley. How close is Apple Valley to um, the beach? I think it's like an hour and forty minutes or something. Okay, probably with traffic now it's like two hours and mm-hmm. you know plus. But yeah, back when I mean I remember like in high school, like mm-hmm. summer would hit and we'd like load up in my buddy's car and mm-hmm. we'd drive down the Long Beach, yeah, and, like hang out. It was before GPS maps, or it was just like we had like a California state map, and we're like, oh yeah, you're supposed to turn back there, dude. And we're like yeah. driving through the hood. Go <laughs> <laughs> printed out the instructions. Yeah, it was like MapQuest. Yeah, MapQuest. You're like checking them off as you, yeah. and then you're like, oh, did you, where's the reverse directions? So yeah. like, oh, I didn't do those. No. <laughs> oh shit, how do we get home? <laughs> yeah, I'm just old enough to where I remember MapQuest. Just, just old enough. <laughs> yeah. Man, the uh, I'm actually headed to Long Beach like uh, next week. So that's, that's yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be dope. The, let me know how the how California is, how crowded yeah. it is. And yeah, I think whenever I go back to California, I make sure I get In and Out mm-hmm. hamburgers. Oh yeah, and I hit some Mexican food. Mexican, yeah, because it's like it's just so good. It's so always it's like a, yeah, yeah. I used to um anywhere on that like. That Mexican food is fire. <laughs> and I, we, so we used to train. We used to, when I was uh, with the SOA TB and I was a training mm-hmm. battalion in yeah. 160th, we used to go out to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the New Mexico chilies out there, like the hatch chilies and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. I love the Mexican food out there too. Yeah. Do it. 
Alvarado's here is, you know, it's good. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's some good places here, but it's like, yeah, it's like you go down there, it's just like, I mean, everything's like green chili on your hamburger, green chili in your burrito, green chili on everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It was good. I'm getting, I immediately just got hungry, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, my stomach hurts. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, I'm glad I eat before I came here. I actually cooked um because I was on a carnivore diet. I didn't have any pots or pans, and I got them yesterday, so so I didn't eat for like a few days. <laughs> I know I could have went to McDonald's and gotten some burger patties or whatever. That's when you hit up mom and dad's place. And be like, Come on, hey, these <laughs> food steaks, man. <laughs> I've got a dog. I don't freaking. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I got some. Little sausages, and then I like put that uh moonshine, you know, that apple cinnamon <laughs> in the bottom. And I was like, <sighs> every five minutes, you know, just smelling it. And I only have a pot too, so I cooked it in a pot. <laughs> Do you have pots of now, or are you still? I have like them a, out? I have like a big, I have two pots, like that you cook soup in, and I just I put, the, <laughs> I put the sausage in the pot. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Living yeah. like you're in a dorm now. You know, yeah, it's great. It's so quiet. Nice. This is a cool place. I didn't even know these yeah. places existed. I didn't either. It's like a month ago. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done living. I haven't walked around yet. I'm just. You need to get yeah walking around. Yeah. I, I keep eyeing that Chinese place, like King. I don't even know what it's called. I don't know. It's the first word is King and it's yellow. Yeah. I really want to go there. That, that Chinese place. That's one thing about moving to Omaha that I've <clears throat> really liked is since college, my brother and I, he went, he came here mm. from Apple Valley to Creighton. Creighton? Okay. Creighton's like two minutes not even two minutes away people so he, walk there he came here I, f- I forget what year it was but it was like you know 1995 three or four mm. and uh, he was pre-med too mm. same thing he's like drops out you know stops yeah. and he does uh, he became a fireman okay yeah so he, he got his degree I think in emergency management or medicine or something mm. like that. Um, but we have not lived in the same place since high school yeah so moving back here, he knows Omaha really well because he's driving, a, you know, in a fire truck. He knows all the roads in the city and all places mm-hmm. to eat. Yeah. So like, it has been cool. Like the whole whole three years, it's like, hey John, what do you want to do for lunch? He's like, let's try this place. Let's try. Mm-hmm. And we just made basically made a list of like cool places to to eat in Omaha. Yeah. So I feel like I've like gotten a good sampling of like yeah. places to eat. It's been really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Man. <clears throat> It must be cool have uh finally like being in the same city as your brother too. That's yeah, it's, that's one of the bittersweet things about moving. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You going to Montana, aren't you? Yeah. So I, I'm actually leaving Monday to go look for houses. Yeah. But it's one of the bittersweet because like it's been great mm-hmm. having family and being able to see family and having a barbecue on you know whatever yeah. holiday or weekend. Yeah. And like hanging out, you know, because mm-hmm. for. Forever, we didn't get to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely got to be. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. fun. So, hopefully, hopefully, he, you know, he's got two boys that are 
going off to college and he's got one more that's uh, three years out. So hopefully uh, he can be a little more travel and come back mm -hmm. and see us in Montana. And the good thing about um, him being here yeah. is that I have a home base. Like mm -hmm. anytime I want to come back to Omaha, mm -hmm. first of all, I know the city. Mm -hmm. I got somewhere to stay. Yeah. And I got a place to go to jujitsu. Yeah. Which is checks all the lists. So and there's good places <laughs> yeah. to eat. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so it's all good, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of bittersweet moving away, but I'm excited too. To, mm. We've always wanted to live in. We've been the armies have told us where to live. Yeah. For 20 years, mm. and then for three years, I mean, it was we had to live here because my wife was going to school. Yeah. So it's like finally, I'm like, you know, if we don't mm. live. If we don't make the move to Montana, when will when is the right time? Yeah, we got to do it. You right. know? Just pull the trigger. Yeah. yeah. So how? So you wanted to? You had ideas like Montana, Maine, and then what's that? Like you had ideas to move to like Montana, Maine, Wyoming, Wyoming, Montana. Those are the two big places. I know. Okay. I wanted to live in the Mountain West. Yeah. So what? I know you live in Tennessee, like around Clarksville, and I know Eastern Tennessee is like kind of pretty similar, you know what I mean? But what, why, why do you want to live in like? So I want the reason. First of all, um, Omaha's great, mm -hmm. but there's no public land mm -hmm. like to go hunting on and stuff. Right. I mean, there's very little like to really deer hunt here or to turkey hunt. Mm -hmm. You have to know a farmer who's got yeah. it. 600 acres and you can, Hey, can I hunt on your land? Or right. most of the time they're his friends and family are using it. Mm -hmm. He's not going to let you, you know, it's just hard to, to figure out where to hunt in Nebraska, yeah. Montana in Wyoming. There's like millions of acres of public land mm -hmm. where you can get out and you can hunt elk and deer and bear and Turkey and everything else. And with my kids, since we've been in Omaha, I think we've been to every state park within 200 miles of Omaha. <laughs> yeah. And hiked with them and, you know, fishing. And mm. in three years, we're like, I want them to have a little bit more. I want them, like, I want Wyatt and Logan to grow up, like, having some adventures in the mountains mm. as they get older. You know, when they're in high school, like, hey, I'm going to go up and I'm going to go elk hunting for three days. Yeah. I want them to have that ability. It's just harder to do here. Mm. And it's hard to do in Tennessee, too. Easier in Tennessee, but still pretty hard. You know? so, so you got into hunting in Tennessee? So yeah, I was a, once again, late onset jujitsu practitioner. Yeah. Late onset hunter. Yeah. Uh, my buddies, basically, they were, he's been hunting all his life. Mm -hmm. with Mark and Ryan. And I came, I approached him and I said, I want to hunt. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they kind of like walked me through like, okay, you need to buy a, get a bow. Because bow season's a lot longer than gun season, you have more opportunities to hunt with a bow. So I'm like, okay, buy a bow. Now, mm -hmm. how do I shoot this thing? Yeah. So then I learned how to shoot a bow, and then went hunting for the first time. Yeah. Got my first deer with a bow. Yeah. It's freaking crazy. Yeah. I've never shot a, a deer with a gun. Really? Yeah. That's well. I, I, I've killed five <laughs> like, Yeah, it does. It seems, but the the hunting season in Tennessee is so long. Uh -huh. For bow, and then I could hunt on post, mm. and the deer. The, it was a great deer hunting on post, and the season was long, mm. and 
it just was easier to do. Okay. So, yeah, it was kind of, it's probably not the normal pathway. Usually you gun hunt and then you bow hunt, but the bow hunting opportunity was so much better that right. I bow hunted, yeah. So I loved bow hunting. I loved shooting, mm-hmm. um, like archery. I loved, like, just... You have to be so close to the deer to shoot mm-hmm. with a bow. It's like just, just so challenging and fun and it's frustrating and it's, you know, it's it's a very, it's just fun. Yeah. So I was a late onset hunter and I had some great opportunities and, and got a lot of deer and loved it and got mm-hmm. a turkey with a bow and went turkey hunting, learned how to do that a little bit. I'm not great. I'm not great at any of that stuff. Yeah. I have a shirt that says world's okayest hunter on it. <laughs> so kind of, I should get one that says world's okayest white belt too. <laughs> Just have a collection. Yes. But it's, but, um, but I really enjoy it and I would like my kids, yeah. like instead of them hunting, starting hunting when they're 40, mm-hmm. like I did, I would like them to hunt. Yeah. And start hunting now yeah. and like start understanding and mm-hmm. just understand where their food comes from yeah. and understand like, you know, it's not just swiping a ATM card in a grocery store to get meat. Mm-hmm. You can actually go out and get your own meat, and it's actually better than what you can buy in a store. Right, and it's more rewarding. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, hunting just like everything else that's hard teaches lessons in life. You know, yeah, like be persistent and got to be kind of tough. Mm-hmm. You got to be self sufficient and all that stuff. So, yeah. I feel like uh, I don't know because when you think of hunting, it doesn't seem like. Because I've never hunted, you know, personally, but I have, like, my family's from, like, Alabama, Georgia, you know, and then, but then, <clears throat> like, they hunted or whatever, but, like, I don't know, I was, it, it, a lot of people go through life, like, almost academically, you know what I mean? And they're not really, like, they'll have fun with friends. They're not participating, Yeah, they're not, parti- yeah, yeah, they're not participating, yeah. and then, like, I think, uh, like, there's, like, this is some Miyamoto Musashi, greatest warrior of all time type of stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, there's three things you have to, like, have your life balanced. There's art, and there's uh, war, and then there's, uh, like, uh, working with your hands, be it, like, carpentry or gardening or mm-hmm. anything. Hunting, hunting has, like, you wouldn't think it, but I think it's pretty valuable, you know? Oh. just thinking about it yeah it's if and if i'll just say this if you get a chance to go down to alabama or georgia mm-hmm. to hunt yeah. do it oh, yeah. just say hey i want to is it deer season or try to head down there during the, the fall which is deer season it's like i want to go hunting mm-hmm. just do it just find somebody yeah have them put you in a tree stand yeah you know and go, go try to get a deer i got i got a bajillion cousins down there so that'd be easy yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And do they deer hunt? Yeah, yeah. The, See, yeah, it's the you seem to show an interest, and they'll take you. Because yeah. one of the cool things about hunting mm. is it's fun to take somebody hunting who's never been hunting. It yeah. is because it's like such a cool. Even if you don't get, I mean, like you, mm. you suit hunting is like one of those things where you realize like you're not going to kill something every time you go hunting. Like mm. It's a when you get an animal, it's like special, mm-hmm. you know, and. um just taking them, just taking somebody out in the woods and like showing them the ropes and hey, check the wind and you should see them come up here. This is what you're looking for. It's, it's a blast. You know? mm-hmm. It's just so fun. And it's, yeah. I mean, I've had so much fun with my kid doing that too, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. taking him turkey hunting and sitting in a blind and, you know, he's like so zoned out. Like, 
<laughs> but then as soon as the turkey gobbles, he's like, what's that? It's right over there. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. and he's like so excited, you know, and he turkey walks in front of the blind, you shoot him, the turkey's flopping. Yeah. He's out there like, oh my God, you got a turkey. <laughs> and then we go home uh-huh. and we you know, take all the skin off the turkey. Mm-hmm. We take the turkey breasts and we smash them flat and we make these turkey uh, sandwiches. We mm-hmm. put in panko breading and egg and fry up. And he's eating the, something that he saw get killed in the morning. Yeah. And he's like, this is delicious. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then we take all the dark meat and we make tacos out of it and slow cook it. Uh-huh. And then he's eating tacos from turkey legs. And he's like, this is delicious. I'm like, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's like cool. It's like so cool. Because he's like, yeah. And then it's like, I want to go turkey hunting because it's fun. But I also like the, what we got out of the turkey yeah. too. Fulfilling for your labor. And then it's like nutritious too. And yeah. it's like, he looks in the fridge. He's like, well, we're almost out of turkey meat, dad. We got to go turkey. I'm like, dude, turkey season's over, buddy. <laughs> Have you tried uh, hunting for turkeys in uh, Nebraska? Because I know there's a lot of turkeys around here. Yeah, there's, um, I didn't, we meant to go this year. Mm-hmm. I was, had plans to, but my wife was in the middle of graduation and taking the boards. Yeah. And so it kind of just got washed away. Yeah. The other thing here that if you don't do it, you should try to do it is go morel mushroom hunting. I've heard a lot of people have Dude, hyped it, it up. It is so fun when you start finding morel mushrooms and you start getting your little place and you start finding your little routine. Mm-hmm. Delicious too. Yeah. yeah. I love uh, mushrooms. I, right now in the cabinet, I have like like uh, some lion's mane uh, like powder. Yeah. So I'm into mushrooms right now. So right now is yeah. I mean, you know, and it, and the good thing about merle mushrooms is they're they're super hard to misidentify. Mm-hmm. Like they're very, and if you just go with somebody who does it, has done it before, who does it all the time, mm-hmm. I mean, they'll take you once, and then you'll be like, I got this, you know. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's places around here that they grow, like Two Rivers, mm-hmm. Indian Cave State Park down south is mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Um, and if you have anybody with Anybody with private land, I'm sure there's morels on there too. Mm. So you're not just going around guessing you, know, you ate one and you're tripping out. No, yeah, you don't do not <laughs> want to do you do not want to eat like just random. <laughs> it's very easy to tell a morel mushroom, and there's like yeah. there are false morels. Okay, but there's easy to tell apart. Mm. Like they, don't, they don't really look the same to me. Okay, okay. But that's something that you, in Omaha, this it's been really fun to do. Okay, yeah, I never. People, people talk about it, but I never, like, ever understood the hype. Like, These are delicious. Yeah. They're better than any mushroom you've ever bought in the store. Okay. okay. Delicious. Yeah. You have to. All right, so I got one question for you. There was, so you sent me the retirement document, and there's a Bible verse at the end of it, and it says, uh, but God knows the way I take, and when He has tested me, I'll come out as gold. Job twenty three ten. So what? Like, does that mean anything to you? Like, what do you do so that, that 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 was put on there when the um, when the unit was first got started, I believe. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, when you're tested. Yeah. You do what you're supposed to do. You're gonna come out gold. And mm-hmm. and that is a test. I mean, the, being in the one sixtieth is a test. You know. Mm-hmm. The Night Soccer Creed was out on there too, you know. Um, I think 
everybody reads that multiple mm-hmm. times in their time there. And, um, it's such a cool experience to be in that organization. For I feel very lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm retired. I don't yeah. want to go back. But I was like, <laughs> I'm so glad that I got to, to go to, to be a part right. of that. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just a very special place. Mm-hmm. Definitely like a place for, it seems to me, special individuals as well. You know? It's just, you know, there's, there's special individuals who are super dedicated. Mm-hmm. And you know, that place really taught me like you know, so many lessons, like just discipline and working hard setting goals and um, just great, you know, you surround yourself, you know, I think, um, what's the saying? You surround yourself by great uh, people. You're just, yeah. you can't help but like be. Yeah. You're like the average of. Yeah. And, and or show me your friends, show me your future. Yeah. You, something like that. Yeah. I was, I was with like, no matter what mm. rank they were enlisted or officers or warrant officers or anything, mm. great people. When you're surrounded by a bunch of great people who are working that hard and that dedicated, I mean, it's just a, it's a special thing. You, mm-hmm. you realize it when it's happening. You're like, okay, this is a place that's different. My army career is nothing like I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. This is cool. And you want to stay there as long as you can. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel glad like I knew when to, to, to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've seen guys stay too long and they get bitter and they get a little bit like jaded. Yeah. I never wanted to be. Like, I knew it was special there. Mm-hmm. I started to feel some of the frustration with day to day stuff mm-hmm. because you know it's work. Yeah, it's still work, even though it's a cool place to do. You get cool stuff and you get to fly helicopters. It's still work every day. Mm-hmm. I felt myself, you know, getting frustrated with some of the decisions the command was making or whatever, and I was like, okay, I do not want to get to the point where I'm like pissed off at this place. Mm-hmm. So they kind of worked out perfect. Like, I, I walked away, like happy. The organization was happy with what they got out of me. I was happy with what I got out of the organization. Still have friends there, and still care about the place and care about the people. And mm-hmm. got to be retired. Yeah, to be with my, you know, start a new chapter. In, yeah, in my life, which is mm-hmm. did an awesome thing. Didn't try to hold on too long. Yeah, just, you know, it's just, there's always a danger, man hang on too long and then maybe you're, it's, you're not good for the organization. And mm, you got to yeah. make room for, there's plenty of talent coming up, you know, got them young bucks. <laughs> they want to you know. get after man. And that's good. They should. <laughs> yeah. You know? Okay. See, that's awesome. All right. I lied. I have one more. Okay. What is a presidential, um, unit citation? That is a citation that the whole unit gets for something that the unit did. Mm. And it could that the whole unit's not going to do something. Oh, yeah. But, for example, uh, um, any big mission where you go get a high-value target, mm. the the president will say, okay, this unit's getting a presidential unit citation. Mm. And so then you have to – what it really means is it's cool. It's cool for the command. It's cool for the unit. What it really means is that everybody's got to buy this ribbon and – Rearrange all their stuff. <laughs> You're like, oh, not another ribbon. I just got my class A's sorted out. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's another, uh, another, another knot on the belt or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's the other thing about the, the 160th is it's just not a, um, like, I don't, everybody there probably deserves way more, like, 
awards or accolades mm-hmm. than they get, but nobody's there for that. Mm. That was the other cool part. It's like you do some crazy mission or cool mission or, you know, scary, dicey mission, you know, where bullets are flying and stuff's getting kind of crazy. Nobody's looking, coming back and like, oh, I'm going to write myself a award for this, you know. Everybody's just like, well, glad we got out of that. Good. I'm glad the customer's good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's debrief it and then let's be ready for the next mission. Next one. Constant. <clears throat> yeah. It wasn't awesome. like, oh, okay, we got to prop ourselves up for this, you know. Yeah. It was very, like, business-like. Yeah. See, that's awesome. That's a good, uh, like, a humble... This is our this is our purpose right now. Yeah, well, they're quite professional is what mm-hmm. they they always you know always tell the new guys coming in. Hey, be mm-hmm. a quiet professional. Be yeah. professional. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. And, you know, I don't even like. I have certain anxiety about talking about everything we did in the one sixtieth because mm-hmm. I still feel that way. Yeah. But at the same time, I I will talk up the unit because it's a fantastic place. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. All right. Well, it's been an honor. It really Thank you. Has been. I was waiting for this like all week. It was, it was I was ex- cause last I woke up uh, this morning. I'm like, man, I'm a little bit nervous. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I never believe it or not. This is my first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 not that interesting, game. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I was like, huh. I wonder how this is gonna go. Yeah. But it's been really awesome. Yeah, it really has been. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably been. talk too much. Here for you, man. I'm, I'm here to learn about you. I want to know. I want to know everything. But yeah, thank you very much. Cool, man. Yes, sir. All right. Um, I don't have a website yet, so it's, yeah. Well, when you when you get together, send me a link or whatever. I will. Yeah. Um, I'll post it this week. You here's what I need from you. Yeah. Question. The Nebraska BJJ, like, it's on our geese. The mm, artwork. Itty bitty patch. The patch. Yeah. Where, does your dad have that somewhere on a computer? Or, yeah, he should. Or does he, Ryan he, have he, it? Or who has it? He should have a file, yeah. I want to try to get some um, Yeti cups made. Okay. To give to coaches when I leave. Yeah. JP and to mm. Coach Ryan and Dad and stuff <clears throat> you think you can give me that file yeah i think sure. i need like a, either a pdf or a rat i forget the name of the file that they use to to do the laser etching on yeah Yeti cups Something like, yeah yeah i can get the, i can get you that though okay yeah, if you just email to me mm. i think do you have my email i don't already yeah, yeah. and uh that way i can start working on that stuff no they would love that they would definitely appreciate it What's your what's all the work your dad's been doing in the back there? The showers and stuff? Oh yeah, they're doing um uh yeah, they're doing a men's lock because technically you have to have like a men's and a women's locker room. But basically that room's like a men's locker room because we have like four girls that go to the gym, you know. So they're just gonna put a woman's sign on one of the in one of the spaces that one of the bathrooms are in now. So I think So is that by law? Yeah, by law. Yeah, we have to have a men's and a women's restroom. And then, like, I know some, uh, like, beauty salons, you know, uh, they, like, even though, like, 
99.999% of the customers are female. I mean, in today's day, that they're not even worried about that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anybody can get whatever they want, but they have to like install a, like a urinal or something like that, you know? So it's very they have to put a urinal in. I'm pretty sure, yeah. And, so and they just take it right out. Ridiculous, but hmm. everybody should be able to go into a toilet, you know? I mean, you yeah, know. I would just have a little sign that you flip. Like, if there's yeah. girls in the gym, this is the girls' bathroom for now. Yeah. Otherwise, it's two guys' bathrooms. Yeah. Or just, there's a private bathroom, too, so why? What's the problem, you know? Like, it's very, yeah. Starbucks has the, the human being with a man and a woman, and it's split down the middle. Yeah. So how do they get away with it? I don't know. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess I'm good for both um, I'm gender fluid. <laughs> so weird. Um, yeah, I was just curious because are they going to sh- have showers back there too? That was the plan, but that'll be later. Like, I want a shower, so I was like, and right now especially. What I, yeah. what I think that, you, that your dad should do is he should get one of those industrial washers and dryers. So he doesn't have to. He's doing it. He's good. doing that. He's doing it. I feel so bad. I see your like mom like yeah. dragging in geese and like yeah. I'm like first of all, who's borrowing a geese doll? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like new people, you know. But like yeah. that many? Like she's carrying in like. I don't even know. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm like, dude, after two weeks, your two trials up. Yeah. Get your own gee. For real. For real. I mean, I'm not. Maybe is that out of line? No. <laughs> that seems like like I was like I had yeah. a gi the first day I showed up. Yeah. Like I'm I'm doing jujitsu. What do I need? Yeah. He's like buy a gi. I'm like okay. And then I guess what I washed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that's what it is. Some <clears throat> some guys like some gyms like make you buy a gi, but that like m- like forcing people to do stuff is kind of like just against like. Kind of the gyms like like what uh like the vision is for the gym you know like the cult it would go against the culture so of like yeah uniforms yeah. and like making everything yeah but it's definitely a, it's a little bit of a hassle though i just definitely. like i just like it's a routine I, every time i see it i'm like try to help her first yeah. of all but i'm like who's using these geese <laughs> and why are you i can't imagine the wear and tear on a washing machine yeah else it's a, it's a it's a thing because you can't even dry it you gotta hang up hang them all up by hand but you can't dry them Mm-mm. i dry mine oh really <laughs> oh, <shit>. whatever <laughs> i dry my kids yeah just, just slowly shrinks on you it's quite big man yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that's funny is he are they gonna do any more um geese for sale you think any plans for you heard anything? I know we got I don't know how regular those are. Um, but we do do orders and stuff like because we because like Aries is like sponsored by Gameness or whatever has a partnership and then we'll get like discounts and stuff. So then we'll just because I, uh, I was trying to I was I asked Coach because uh, mm-hmm. Coach Ryan because I was trying to get a couple more geese before I move, yeah, just so I could. Did he? Did he know? He didn't. He's know. like, I don't know. Yeah, um, oh yeah he's a nerdy guy. He, no, I mean that's what I want. I want a no gi. I want a rash yeah, guard. 
Yeah. Somebody was asking me about that last night, actually. They're like, when did you come in? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know. Maybe it's maybe enough people are interested they can put an order in or something. Yeah, because I know we get the rash cards from uh, one of Ryan's connections. So... Because those came how. out good, I thought. Dude, they came out great. It's, and it's holding up. It's like lasting. Yeah. Really good. It's yeah. as good as anything else I bought. Yeah. Like there's not any like, you know, like uh, like an old clothes, like their little balls will come up. No, it's it was, fine. They, yeah. were, they were great. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to Montana and I'm going to my I'm gonna look at houses. But at nighttime, there's a two jujitsu gyms in Helena. I was yeah. going to drop do a drop, walk in or drop in or whatever to mm-hmm. see if I can. Just to kind of get a feel for the gyms. Yeah. Because now I'm like, I feel like I'm spoiled a little. <laughs> <laughs> you go there. You just... <sighs> well, I don't, I mean, I, I just, you know what I mean? I want to find yeah. like a good gym or as close mm-hmm. as I can. I mean, yeah. I know, I'm, I know I won't. I know I'll be disappointed, but I, at the same time, I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, it's such a good gym. That we got yeah. There. See, um, because we came, so we lived in Memphis and then we moved to Arizona. Arizona and we went to Palmas place and there's jiu-jitsu gyms everywhere like we could have had done every single gym's free week trial until the day that we left Phoenix you know what I mean like there's ton of ton of good dudes out there and then we came here and then we ended up going to do you know a goji or but yeah we ended up going to a goji we tried out a few places and then we went to premiere and we left they tried to charge us like I mean like I don't know five hundred dollars six hundred dollars <laughs> Six hundred dollars. Premier is that? Who's, who's gym is that? It's a uh, uh, <clears throat> what's his name? Uh, it's like an MMA gym around here. Uh, I completely forgot. I should know this, but um, but yeah, we went to a few gyms and we're like, okay, the cult, the YouTube culture here isn't that big. You know, going to Goji, and then we're like, and yeah, we're like spoiled, and then we're like, and. Dad was like, I'm going to start my own gym. So, you should start his gym. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Like, is he is he happy with how big it's gotten? Is oh, he yeah. surprised or is he like, did he know it was going to be this big? I don't think he's surprised, actually. Fun fact, um, when he was, because he did uh, karate when he was younger, and he had a, he actually had a gym of his own when he was like 13 or something. And like, Ton, similar, you know, ton of people would come, and so you just like do the same thing. I know how to do it, you know what I mean. So yeah, no, I'm so glad I found it because I I did not shop around. I did not. It was like the closest to my house. Yeah. So I'm like, well, convenient. It's, yeah. it's convenient. So I'm gonna try it. Mm-hmm. And it was fun, and I liked it, but I didn't really like love the ghee. <laughs> yeah I didn't love it I mean it was okay uh-huh. but then I did a no-gi class and then I did a gi class and I did a no-gi class mm-hmm. and then pretty soon I was like I want to just I did no-gi class no-gi class no-gi class and I'm like my hands felt better because I, I do have carpal tunnel and I have uh, some mm-hmm. stuff from flying yeah. I have ulnar neuropathy mm-hmm. where my hands at nighttime my fingers will go numb I actually had carpal tunnel at one point it was, yeah. and so when I do the gi like I'm way more like sore and my hands feel like fucked up and my burning sensation in here and Mm -hmm. my fingers are numb. And I'm like, I would like to be able to do jujitsu as long as I can. Yeah. And I feel like 
that shortens my yeah like time that I can do it. Like in nogi, I don't besides getting like my elbows tweaked and mm. you know whatever neck tweaked or whatever a little bit here and there. Mm. Like I don't feel like I've like taking a lot of damage. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because uh, have you ever seen Paul Nava's hands? But they just crooked and ragged. Yeah. Then Dad's hands starting to get it, and I kind of have like a bumps like. So ghee, like it's just like messing up your joints and stuff. You know, what do you think? Where do you think like ghee and no ghee will be in like ten years? Because I've seen like online like people are like yeah. no ghee is so much more exciting to watch yeah. than yeah. ghee. Right. Like people are like if it's gonna be a sport that people are gonna pay to watch or want to go see, it's gonna be no ghee. It's gonna yeah. be no ghee. Yeah. No ghee's gonna be the uh, I think the mainstream. But yeah, it's gonna be what gets popular. Yeah. I wonder how that makes the Gracies feel. They're like, we started it. <laughs> <laughs> Torrance, California, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we invented the UFC. You know? was, yeah. What's crazy yeah. is like that that like Hoist went out there with a gi against yeah. dudes with no gi. Yeah. You got all those grips. They didn't, but they didn't even know how to use them. Yeah, like Ken Shamrock, mm-hmm. his physical attributes. Yeah, should be able to just yeah. grab that gi and just be like, yeah. pop his head off. Right, doesn't work though. This um, I actually, everybody at Open Mat, at, uh, it was like uh, a week or two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. Everybody was a no gi, and I wanted to do gi, so I just put on my gi and I started going against people with gi. And I went against uh, like a white belt, you know, and I'm like, he's never done gi, and he's like a wrestler. I'm like, okay, so I'm like, grab it. And he grabbed it, and I just took him for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he fell from my trap. Yeah. He was like, that's a disadvantage. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, because they don't know what to do with it, you know. And then I went against a, he was a nogi guy, but um. He's like a, but he was, he's like a brown belt. And then, uh, and then he didn't even grab my key. And I was like, this is not fair. <laughs> and that's when it became a disadvantage. Was that the guy who's, who uh, came from San Antonio? That guy? Or is it a different guy? It was a different guy. Yeah. It was a different guy. What do you think, uh, who's going to win ADCC this year? Um, John Hansen. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I, I mean, I, I got a roof for the guy. Yeah, I mean, got to. Did you see his um, uh, for tri- ADCC trials? Yes. Like a thirty-second arm bar from guard, just popped it. He is he is for a big guy. He is mm-hmm. so quick and mobile, and maneuverable. Yeah. But also, like I also see like how at that level though, mm-hmm. like if you look at John Hansen and his other videos from like last ADCC. Mm-hmm. They're going after legs so fast and quick, and like I'm like, yep, dude, it is a different legs of the meta, yeah, dude. I mean, if you and if you don't tap within like half a second, it's popped, right? Yeah, you're gonna be in a cast or you're gonna get surgery. Mm-hmm. I know, um, IBJJF doesn't like John Hansen for some reason. Like I watched one time, I I was in Kansas City with him because both of our teams went Axios and. Nebraska and then uh, I was watching from the side and he 
he had a point. Like, it was 2-1, to one and he beat this other dude. And they, the timer went out, the ref stood up, and gave the other guy the dub. And I was like... I was just standing there, like, I couldn't even... Like, I was mad, but I was like... I, I didn't know what to, like, say. I was like... But, um... And also, John... I don't know what happened, but then all of a sudden, like, from a competition, like, a while back, like, they posted this video of John Hansen getting uh, toe-holded, like, in a match. Uh He, he, like, it popped up, and the dude jumped on the toe-hold. Was it, like, was that Tex or whatever? Toe-hold? He did, like, some kind of Yamara? I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. But, yeah, he just, he was just a guard, grabbed his toes. (sighs) Yeah, so leg locks are... And then when I went to Subspectrum, you know what I mean? Because IBJF, I don't have to worry about heel hooks until I'm black belt, you know what I mean? But heel hooks are... That's the matter. If you're, if you're not in IBJF, then you're going to be dealing with some crazy leg locks. Your injuries and stuff are just insane. Yeah, it's a whole new system. Like, uh, was it John Danaher? Like, because he, when he was in New York with Henzo, he invented... Like the leg lock system, you know, because like people old old school, they were like, hip locks are cheating, wrist locks are well, well, I guess it's leg locks, but wrist locks are cheating. That's cheap. Heel hooks, that's that's the literal devil, <laughs> you know, that's evil. That's the root of all evil, you know. But then John Hansen was like, because it was seen as like a getaway. But then John, or not John Hansen, John Danaher was like, well. Ankle locks isn't so much of a cop-out. It's more of like, it has its own position. You know what I mean? So then, I think, and then he, uh, Gordon Ryan, you know, Gordon Ryan adopted the system with him to follow John Danner around. And, yeah. Do you think, what do you think of Gordon Ryan's chances to win AD system? Probably like really, really high. Yeah. He's fucking crazy good, man. Yeah. He's so technical. Like, I think about the way I roll and I look at him when he rolls and I'm like, he's so calm. Yeah. And so little exertion on his face. Yeah. And I'm like, and he's like very like, it's like, oh, I'm just going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to push this here. And it's like four moves to get the knee to a certain angle and then he does something. Yeah. He does exactly <clears throat> like, uh, I forgot who he was going against, but he had an envelope. <laughs> yes, it was a, yeah. what's his name? The triangle on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, he gave the envelope to the dude, triangled him, and the coach opened up the envelope and had a triangle on him. Yeah. He's crazy, calling dude. Son. I mean, and did you see his recent match with that brown belt from... Um, no, I didn't actually. Um, his S mount was so... It looked so painful for this guy. Like, I was ready to... I was tapping in my... <laughs> I was in my computer watching, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I can't breathe. And the look yeah. on his face was... I mean, he was he was heavier. Yeah, this guy's a brown belt, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's no, he's not like a he's a high level brown belt. Like he's yeah. a, in a good school, and he's like tapped black belts before, you know, and leg locks. And but dude, Gordon Ryan handled him like it mm-hmm. was nothing. Yeah, I'm like, scary. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and what's even scarier is the dude has like a gut problem. Constantly has that pain going on. He can't even finish. Or What's scary is he's twenty four. Yeah. He's pretty. Yeah, he's 25? young. Twenty five. Yeah, he's young. Yeah, 
He's only going to get better. Yeah. Unless he just quits. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's probably, he's probably can be in his prime till he's 35 or mm-hmm. 34, 35. Yeah. Because, yeah, like with fighting prime, probably leaves you a lot earlier. And then jujitsu is like, you know what I mean? You have I mean, there's that. still some high level guys at like 40. You know? Yeah. How yeah. old's John Hansen? Oh, I have no idea. He's not young. Yeah. He's definitely in his 30s. Like mid, late, mid, late ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brother works with John Hansen. Really? Um, my brother is Warren Buffett's personal paramedic. Oh, that's sick. So when, like, when, like, they do the Berkshire Hathaway thing, you know, and all mm-hmm. the people are in town or whatever, and he's doing all this appearances, my brother is like, Security slash, if Warren has like a medical issue, mm-hmm. John's like there to instantly like defib or you know whatever Warren needs to. Yeah, but uh, but so but John uh, John's also on that Clark yeah. security. Yeah, I'm actually um I just worked a job with them. Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, and, and then my brother did that was on that one. The one down at CHI or whatever? The... No, um, the concert or whatever. Okay. Yeah, but then I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm going to start doing, like, uh, working, like, nights with him pretty soon, too, so, yeah. Cool. With Clark? Yeah, Clark International, yeah. Good, you should. Yes. Yeah. It's a cool thing, yeah. I didn't, that's, so, your brother works as a fireman and? He's a paramedic fireman. Okay. But yeah. um, he was also, before, a while back, he was on the Omaha was training medics for SWAT, mm-hmm. like so, so they could have a, a medical a medical guy with a SWAT team in case something happened. Instead of like calling in a guy in an ambulance who doesn't know anything about tactics, they wanted to embed a paramedic with the SWAT team, huh. so that if shit went down and somebody got shot, that there was instant like right. care on scene. Yeah. So my brother was training with the SWAT team. Omaha PD SWAT team, mm. but through um, he was a, he was already a paramedic, but he was like training with the cops and stuff, and then that's where he met um, I think everybody that is at Clark and all the retired cops there. Mm. So they, my brother's always fucking around. With John is like, yeah. like, when do we get a shot at John? I'm gonna fuck him up. <laughs> my brother's like, no jitsu at all. Like, <laughs> No chance, man. Whenever I roll with John, it's like I don't even know jujitsu anymore. You know, it's like he's got like he's got technique and he's so big. I just feel like his leg like sweeping me or whatever is like a tree trunk just you know lifting me up on the ground. I've heard like from like Matt Hansen mm-hmm. that like his practices are just like an hour and a half of passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he his his classes are like because he's a competitor, his, his competition yeah. style yeah. is like yeah, and all the dudes at Axios are like monsters. Like they're all jacked. They're all huge. I go there. I went there. I went to the mat last Saturday, last weekend. And I was just sitting there like, oh my god, I'm the smallest person here. <laughs> like it was pretty crazy. Is it what's the gym culture like? Is they pretty good dudes or are they? Yeah. Because, uh, like, some MMA, like, gyms I've heard are not. 
Yeah, it's not so much of MMA gym, you know. Like they got bags hanging or whatever, but it's yeah. a, it's a jujitsu gym. Yeah. Okay. It's, so I mean, generally, I think jujitsu gyms are a little more chill than yeah MMA gyms. Or, it's a little bit more. Um, You know, uh, it's, it's a little bit rougher culture, you know what I mean? A little bit more competition, a little bit more, like the roles aren't going to be like, well, yeah, there's going to be, they're going to be more, you know, uh, high paced, you know, they're going to be more, you know, muscling things, but, but that's good, you know, yeah, you know, it's good to uh, mix up. Cause for me, it was like, I was over here in Nebraska, you know, and then I was like, I wouldn't say same routine because, like, I think our instructors do a good job of, you know, not making it, like, a monogamous thing or whatever, you know. So then I was, like, went over there and I was, like, oh, okay. So the every single role I had was competitive. Every single role I had, the dude would pretty much out-muscle me. And I was, like, dude. <laughs> so it was, it was a really good change of pace and it helped me, like, I don't know, reset Tighten a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, okay. So I use this technique you know, because I came from like a Gracie gym, you know, and it was all like preserve your energy, use their use their strength against them. And I was like, okay, it doesn't work sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so I, was just, I noticed so like when I, I mean this this is like from a very low level jujitsu perspective, but when I like go against like like blue, purple belts in our gym. Mm-hmm it's high paced and they're younger guys and they're fast and I'm like you know, passing my guard and I'm having to get half guard back and having to work out of these bad positions and stuff. Yeah. And then I go against a um, white belt. Mm. Like what a difference. Like this, the difference in like feel the space Yeah. and the, where they do with their legs is so different. Like I'm mm. like, you're not, why are you even letting me pass your guard? Like, this? <laughs> like their legs are just like flopped out, you know? And yeah. I'm like, that's probably me six months ago. <laughs> I'm taking advantage of this shit because yeah. the oh, last right. four dudes, man, he like <laughs> kept me in half guard for five minutes, you know? Just taking that advantage. Oh, yeah? Just fucking neon belly on. <laughs> I think that's the other thing, too, is like, because I'm, I'm one of the bigger guys in the gym. Yeah. I got like a brand new white belt. I'm just like, I'm not going to fucking crush him. Yeah. It's not even. Yeah. Like today, the, the, like the new guy, he's like, he's a smaller dude, but he's like, it's mm. like his first week or yeah i'm like where do you want to start dude mm. and he immediately like starts in side control and he's like got like, all this space like yeah. he's up on his knees you know and he's like leaning on me and i'm like mm-hmm. dude I'm like i'm not i'm not coach but you know, like, all i gotta do is do this or get this underhook and you're done you know? tightened up man like, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah yeah and i'm like okay, what, what are you what's your strategy because he all of a sudden he's in side control and he's like he starts attacking like my close arm mm. So like he's not even like pitting me anymore, and he's yeah. like attacking this arm. That he's, I'm like, what's your, what are you thinking of? He's like, oh, I'm trying to go after this arm. I'm like, it's the wrong arm, dude. You need to go after this arm. You're laying on me. You gotta go after this arm. And he's like, what? And he just takes back. Like, no, I'm like, like, oh, okay, okay, I get it now. I'm like, oh, yeah. gosh. I'm like funny. that was me probably like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. White belts are. My belts are hard, man. <laughs> oh, I know. Totally. Trust me. I told this, I was like complaining to JP. I'm like, he's like, you have the white belt blues, dude. It's all right. You'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm like, man, sometimes I feel like I'm just trying to work on like these techniques I'm getting taught. And, mm-hmm. and you know, 
this happens and yeah but you know and i don't ever get to try him and i feel like I, he's like dude you got the white belt blue disease that's normal yeah it's like suck it up <laughs> like, okay. thanks jp <laughs> thanks for the talk <laughs> that's why i love jp so i love him. i like jp yeah because my wrestling i have zero background in wrestling uh-huh. and he not that i'm a good I have good takedowns or I'm a good wrestler, but at least he show he shows me what right looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And some of this stuff he shows me, I'm like, I will probably never in my life be able to do that. Right. But this one I can do, and this one I can do, and this yeah. one, you know, so at least I have like a have four yeah. takedowns that I can practice. Right. You know? Yeah. And um that's awesome. Yeah. Takedown because takedowns are so ignored. You know, in jiu-jitsu, oh. just straight up, just... And also, he teaches, like, these kind of these nasty techniques that are, like... Yeah. They're, like, a little bit nasty. They're, like, a little bit, yeah. like... They're not comfortable. Yeah. And they're... It's, like... It's awesome. Yeah, it's got that, uh... It's like, grit to them, and it's, yeah. like, a little bit of, like... A little bit of fuck you, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's cool, because... Yeah, because, uh... It's almost like, uh... I like the kind of complimentary because like he likes wrestling you know but he also has that 10th planet background that leg lock background you know and i love that how he ties all that together and it's it's very different i love it like it's cool like today today i was or like last night i was rolling and i was finding myself a twister side Mm. just automatically because it was like it's a really good way when somebody's got you in half guard to clear that leg out and then put all that pressure on him and then you can always roll into regular side control but i'm like i'm here yeah he's obviously not happy right now he's kicking his leg up but i'm like huh yeah now maybe i try this this." it like opened up a whole new like little that i don't usually get to see you know yeah so i i do like that yeah i started running to your side too and it was like looking for it like because i because i that was also like kind of the first time that i started that i worked it you know and i mean this is my opinion too but he also said that like we start mirroring what like ryan does in the class and i was like don't do that <laughs> i want to because like whenever i go to jp's class it's almost like i don't know i have something that the evening class guys don't have you know exactly that's what i like yeah. too because i'll yeah. go to the jp's class and then i'm like Thursday night, I'm like, I want to try this on, yeah. you know, a white belt of my yeah. caliber to see yeah. if I can get it, you know, yeah. or whatever, or maybe surprise them with blue belt. Just is, get a one up on them. Just, yeah. Yeah. What was that? Where'd you learn that from? I'm like, mm, mm, lunch class. Yeah, yeah. But then I also like go to the night class because then I'm like, mm-hmm. the lunch class guys, I'm like, huh. You know, like that weird, yeah. Ryan was doing that chin strap with the. Mm-hmm. Got that today on the yeah. lunch class. Yeah. Like, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> I go to all the classes. <laughs> I'm retired, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I suck, but I'm I am retired. <laughs> That's funny. I'm retired. <laughs> nope. Yeah, tired in jiu-jitsu. That's gotta be. That's the best retirement plan I've ever heard of. Honestly, it's it's at. Dude, it's been so fun to do jujitsu, and just mm-hmm. my, my all my friends are jealous because mm-hmm. I'm like sending pictures or whatever, yeah. class photos. I'm like, dude, I need to start. Yeah, I'm like, dude, that's the hardest part is that first you month. 
mm. of getting through and just being, yeah. you know, not knowing anything. Mm. Um, but then it just gets better and better and better. Yeah. Because even when you're getting dominated, you at least know what's happening. Yeah. You're like, oh, that was what he did was he right, pummeled yeah. his legs. Yeah. He controlled this underhook. He mm. wouldn't, he didn't let me get this. I had to roll the turtle and then he did, you know, you're understanding the role, even mm. though maybe you're not winning the role. Yeah. Which is still like instructional yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is like, uh, yeah, because I don't know, because before, I would. I wanted to be everybody. I didn't care if they had a black belt. I still don't really. I'm like, I'm gonna be you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run you, man. But then, um, I don't know. But also, when that doesn't happen, because it hardly ever turns out right. You know what I mean? It's just like. How did you do mean? against uh, the guy from San Antonio? The bibs. Pretty good. Yeah. He caught. Um, I don't know. I sweeped him. He sweeped me. He caught me with a triangle. That's about it. Like he couldn't do his heel hooks, or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun role because he hit me moving a lot. You know what I mean? He's very athletic. Oh yeah, kid. Yeah, he knows how to. <clears throat> yeah, he just knows how to. What? Are you? I I've never had somebody knock on my door. It's weird. Seems like they would knock. I mean, there's no how to get up here. You have to have a fob. Exactly. Oh, I might have a package. This might be what it is. So. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody coming for me, so I'm not worried about it. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, that uh, I was thinking about the the other day though. Um, it was about a, uh, because I started jujitsu, I believe, when I was ten or eleven. You know, so then it, it's hard for me to like uh, look back and be like, <clears throat> you know. This was like this first month, six months, you know, like you just did year. it. Yeah, I just did it, and it was like, <clears throat> yeah, so it was very weird. For me, for me, it was like I'm using muscles I've never yeah used before in my life. Like swimming yeah. at, at 48 years old. Yeah, that was when I started, and I was sore for like six months. Mm-hmm. I feel that na- now I'm doing jujitsu six days a week. Yeah, and I feel like. I'm very rarely like I'm tired when I'm done, like, mm. especially if we roll a lot of, or you know at the end of class or whatever. Yeah, I'm tired, but I'm not. I'm not like totally destroyed like mm. I was. Like I have gotten to the point where I'm like able to keep up, you know, which is a nice feeling because yeah. it feels like you can make progress. We're not just like yeah. showed up to class. You're like, oh, dude, yeah. I can barely move my, my yeah. abs, my back, my legs, whatever. Yeah, that's what uh, helps when you like it helps when you like it well i mean like you said i would much rather go spend an hour with jp in the Mm -hmm. lunch class than going to the gym lifetime and watching fluffing their hair and like flexing in the mirror and you're just like okay dude get off the machine (laughs) or get off the bench press you know they're like got this giant jug of water and they're like yeah and they're like taking like five or six minutes between reps yeah yeah i'm like come on dude yeah I need to throw some weight on there. I need to do a minute rest in between and I'll be out mm. of your hair. Right. Oh, the girls are setting up their uh, cameras. <laughs> they do and that. they're doing their squats, you know? I'm like, you have a great ass, but seriously, recording it every day is probably yeah. like, 
Is, that, is your form and your squat that bad that you need to record it? Yeah. Super dedicated. Super I'm, sure it's for, <laughs> I'm sure it's for Insta yeah. or TikTok or whatever. Probably like. See, I see it online, but I never thought that people actually did that. You know, I'm just like, dude. In Lifetime, it's all over the place. Really? It's crazy. You go in there, and it's like, first of all, matching green shoes with matching tank top, yeah. and they got their little camera like that, only no yeah. light on it, and they're like uh -huh. setting it up. Yeah. And they're like doing squats, and it's like, dude, you spent an hour doing squats. <laughs> you should be able to do squats for like five minutes and be tired. Yeah. Do you like yeah. Or do you, do you like 100 air squats yeah. instead of doing four squats and taking 20 minutes in between? Yeah. Like angle the camera again, you know? Like get the lighting right. So I'm like, what would I rather do? I'd rather go to jiu-jitsu. I still go yeah, to the gym, but... Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is definitely... I, I just get bored too easy, you know, lifting weights. It's like, I just sit there, stare at my feet, and I'll get up. <laughs> and I'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. It's time to wrap it up. So, yeah. Thank you. I don't know how long we went. Uh, two hours and 48. Dude, I'm ready for Joe Rogan, baby. Come yeah. on. Yeah, let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you.